It's the show that's even faster and more cost-effective than a Lamborghini Countach. Welcome to HQLA episode 18. Incredible. That's yeah. crazy. That is that is a great introduction. You liked that one? Yeah. Yeah, excellent. And, right. it's, uh, and it's more widely available too. There's only 112 of those that were sold mm. and they're all, they're well, all there's taken. Only, there's only 18 episodes here. But, so uh, yeah, we're, but actually, you, you know, we're actually more exclusive, if anything. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> you can stream it as many times as you like and feel free to share it with your friends. That's true. Yeah. Don't keep it exclusive. Don't keep it exclusive. We're already exclusive enough. Yeah. <laughs> we naturally have a pretty exclusive vibe. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. We're, welcome to the club. Welcome to the HQLA club. Perfect. It's so bright. <laughs> so, <laughs> Got to get used to that. Got to get used to the fame for when we're on, um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. The, I other, mean, the other Jimmy Fallon. Couldn't imagine how many lights Jimmy Fallon has. True. That'd be, be more than two, though, I think. Yes. And he doesn't seem to, like, be all blinky and confused no, he's all a time. professional. He is a professional. All right. So, uh, despite it being a little bit less popular in the last six months, Nathan, yeah. um, as a stock to hold, there's, uh, there's a good reason that Netflix is on the fang list. So, um okay. So if we, for those that don't know what Fang is, it's Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Okay. So they're basically the biggest, baddest companies in all of Silicon Valley. They're yes. the, um, they're all considered to be, they're all considered to be unicorns, which yep. is something that IPOs for more than a billion dollars. Yep. Uh, and they are all multi hundred billion dollars now. Um, so in, in terms of market cap. Yep. So they were, uh, and I actually think. I think that it's often written off as a not an important stock, I don't know, in my mind, in a yep. lot of people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were actually considerably, they were a first mover as a, uh, as a major disruptor yep. to Hollywood's traditional kind yes. of distribution. Yes. So it's, um, it's actually also something that I kind of had no idea. Do you have any idea of the founding story or like how it... Um, no. It's, yeah, it's one no, of those ones. I guess for us, it was it felt fairly established when it came to Australia. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So to us, it just always felt like a big, yeah, big yeah. ship. But it's I guess. and it's also not like uh, Apple, where you're you're always thinking, ah, oh, the you know, there's the garage and yeah. the guy with eight hundred dollars and yeah. he owned forty percent of it or whatever, and he yeah. sold it to someone else. Um, so uh, Reed Hastings and Mark Randolph are the two co-founders of okay. um, Netflix in 1997. Wow. Before that, Reed Hastings. Uh, he's, so Reed Hastings is the current CEO. Okay. Um, his last company was called Pure Software, which see, he started in 1991. Yep. Uh, and he managed to double his revenue every year until 1995. Wow. That's cool. So 1995, he went public using Morgan Stanley. Yep. Uh, and in 1996, he acquired a company called Atria. Mm-hmm. Um, and his company was called Pure Software. Yep. His new company is now was was now called Pure Atria. Oh. Um, and uh, that's where they met because Randolph worked for Atria. Yep. Um, and so Hastings acquired Atria where Randolph was working. Yep. And Randolph became um, head of marketing at Pure Atria. Yep. And so that was the it was a software company that focused on debugging. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, in software, you uh, debugging is where you fix your fix your problems. Yeah. Um, so Pure Atria got bought for $700 million by a company called Rational Software. Okay. Uh, and that was the largest acquisition in Silicon Valley history at that time. Really? So 1997. How much? $700 million. $700 million. Okay. Yeah, so, um, so that was in 1997. Yep. 
and they used to the story is that they uh, they used to ride in the car together um, to to get to work so yeah. they carpooled to work okay. and um, and during that time they often brainstormed business ideas yeah so they really liked Amazon but they didn't like it that items became commoditized on Amazon yeah so um, they they like wanted to start an e-commerce store where you that where you rent out movies mm-hmm. so okay. um, they decided that uh, so like starting. In the in the post, you know, pure atria kind of days, mm-hmm. they were kind of experimenting with some ideas, uh, and they decided that VHS tapes were too big and expensive to yeah. ship. Yeah. Okay. Um, and however, DVDs literally just came out, yeah. so it must have been ni- yeah, 1997 when they came out. Okay. And um, and so they test shipped a CD in its place to see if it arrived yeah. unbroken. Yeah. So they test shipped heaps of different ideas. They ran through heaps of different packaging, yeah. mm-hmm. um, to make sure it was. Yeah, it wouldn't get broken when yep. it when it got sent. Sent yep. it hundreds of times. Yep. And um and then they worked out a packaging system which included a return stamp so that they could send back their um discs. Yep. So then Hastings um put down two and a half million of his Puratria cash. Wow. Um significant. And let Randolph uh, manage the day to day as the CEO. Yep, okay. So um so Hastings was like a like the consultant who occasionally was like in there working with the business. Yep. And uh, they were betting on the future, which was that DVDs would replace VHS. Okay. So okay. it's a bit of a theme um, in the company. Yeah. Uh, so 1994 was actually the first DVD player was created by Sony. Was Wait, I so might have missed this. Does this company have a name that Randolph's now the CEO of? Uh, it's called... Uh, actually, we'll, we'll get to that in a okay, sec. Sorry, 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 um, sorry. Okay, sorry. Okay, keep going. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. So on all the... I've only found all the like packaging yep. of what it looks like, so yep. I'll, I'll um I will be up that up to that in a sec. Okay, so sorry. They My um bad. no no no, keep interrupting. It's good. Perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, 1994 was actually when the first DVD player was created by Sony. 1994. And in 1997, the first DVD player was sold in the US. Okay. And it cost a thousand dollars. Whoa. Uh, and crazy. So yeah, in um so in 1998, this is heaps funny. They launched with 30 employees, so they launched like wow. straight out of the gate. A lot okay. of a um, lot of employees. It's not a super high tech business. No, sending sending DVDs. Yeah, but the idea was it actually was super high tech because okay. they had a website, I, and okay. I think that a gotcha. lot of people take for granted 1990s. Yeah, you're like right. even late 1990s. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that company has a website. True. Like that's yeah. you know that's a crazy concept. Yeah. Okay. So um so they launched with 30 employees and 925 movies to rent. Oh, that's good. Um, and at the time, less than 1% of American households owned a DVD player. Yep, that's a problem. Um, and they were called DVD.com. Oh, really? Uh, so they were called DVD.com. Cool. And then, well, on, on all the original packaging, it looks like DVD.com, a Netflix company. A so Netflix like, company. So like it says, DVD.com, a Netflix company. Oh. So it looks almost like they've set up maybe their... Their business name as Netflix, maybe. Yes. And then... So it's um, just a brand or a, a child company within it. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about the value of, you know, at the time, not knowing the brand names or anything like that. Yes. You think about the value of DVD.com as a... Yeah, that's... As, as a domain. A, as a domain. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, people are just finding out about DVDs. True. We have DVD.com. True. That's probably better than Netflix.com. Absolutely. You know, like, what, what the heck's Netflix? Good you call. Know? Yeah. So, I think it's actually quite clever. Um, yeah. So it costs four dollars to rent for seven days for a, uh, a DVD and two dollars for shipping. Okay. And then if you, as you rent additional discs, um, the cost would lower gradually. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah. then you'd be paying less and less f- um, for each one. Yeah. Uh, and you could also pay more to keep the discs for longer. Yeah. And then you could decide to buy it if you didn't want to send it back. Yeah. 
Uh, so you could do that through their um, their website. There was also no... Um, well, you could just not send it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> See what they do about it, you know? <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if they charge your um, credit card or what, how true, it, um, it kind of works. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm but sure they had a plan. You know, I don't think you can play, pay for things for cash over the internet, but um, it's not like Blockbuster, True. which uh, we will get to. Uh, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, in the early days, the website actually went down a lot. Yep. Um, because And most of their revenue came from customers actually purchasing the DVDs. Yeah, okay. So soon after opening, they signed deals with Sony, HP, and Toshiba wow. to put special offers um, of free rentals in their DVD players delivered and then hoping they would get sticky customers oh, through that. Oh, really? So they would put the bo- offer in the box um, for the DVD player. Oh, wow. So smart. A, yeah, yeah. Here's some things you can watch with your new DVD player. Yeah. And um, and then they had a f- couple of free rentals. That's um, good. And so... It's really good. Yeah. And then you just log in and use the code, obviously. And, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, in, um, in 1998, Netflix began developing customer profiles with algorithms that suggested the next film based on what they've rented before. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that kind of cool. uh, customer tracking data was actually, it's a central piece for Netflix today. Yep. It's also a central piece for Facebook and Google and everything like that. Yep. But at that time, that was a super rare um, thought, you know, yes. to, to say, oh, let's let's suggest, let's come up with an algorithm yep. that suggests the next film yes. based on that film. Yes. Same, you know, look at the same director, look at the same actors yep. that were in it, yep. find a match of what they like, what they rent a lot. Or they like this genre, you know. That's really good. Um so they decided in late 1998 to stop selling DVDs mm-hmm. and direct all traffic to the Netflix store on Amazon. Oh, okay. Um, so Amazon made that agreement so that they wouldn't have to compete for DVD sales. Yeah. Uh, and in March 1999, um, Netflix had an inventory of 250,000 discs. Um, they had 110 employees and 2,300 titles. So wow. Um, uh, and Hastings also who founded. The who originally funded the company and yep. co-founded yep. Um, and the one that owned Puratria. Yep. He kicked Randolph to be a member of the board and oh. he took his position as oh, CEO. Really? Oh, okay. So, um, it was interesting enough for him to yeah. be CEO. So he, he was really part-time in the... Um, yeah. And he was just coming in and, and seeing how things were. Yeah. Um, oh, this is working. All right. <laughs> yeah, now it's, now it's time for me to take over. Yeah. And I've seen interviews... I don't know if it's just because <laughs> they're supposed to be friends and they're like, oh, yeah. you know, this kind of thing. I've seen interviews where... Um, well, I've seen an interview with Randolph who says we would never have survived until today without him coming and taking it over. Yeah. But we would have never have survived the first couple of years without me being the ah. CEO in the start. Maybe they have different skill sets. And I think, and I actually think that he was more happy with the, let's, this is our boring idea. Let's just do this boring yeah. DVD um, thing. Let yeah. me get it up and running. I'm fine with operating, yeah. you know, and then switched it around with, um, with Hastings taking yeah. over. Yeah. So uh, in July 1999, Hastings raised $30 million. So this is, this is the next year. So wow. this is two, two years after they started. Yep. He raised $30 million in new capital from a French investment um, firm called Group Arnault, uh, which is based in Paris, and they do VC and private equity. Okay. Uh, now, here's a... Um, they, oh well, all right, so they used that, they used that capital to, um, to switch their business model around. So they made an unlimited subscription plan yep. for all rentals. They made it $8 a month. Yeah. And uh, that meant that you could have um, four DVDs at a time. Wow. Uh, and, oh, no, sorry, that's, um, that's later on. But okay. you can have, you can have a, I think it was two mm-hmm. at the start. 
and yeah, eight dollars, eight dollars a month, and then you send it back, and it sends you your next one in the in the queue. Cool. Um, but here's something that's interesting about the funder, hmm. the French investment firm. Um, do you know who uh, Bernard Arnault is? Yeah. So he's actually the richest man in the world at the moment, with a current net worth of 198 billion. Right now. Yeah. Oh. So um, so Amazon went down. What a happened to Jeff? Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, Amazon oh. stock went down. Really. Uh, he's the owner of LVMH, which is Louis Vuitton, um, Moe, and Hennessy. <gasps> so LVMH last year wow. raised um, a massive, massive amount of capital. Yeah, right. Uh, at zero, uh, at like, yeah, at zero interest rates essentially. Yeah. Uh, and because he he knew that he could like this was like all time lows, <laughs> middle of last year, <laughs> and um and that's he I think he bought LVMH last year or at least he bought a bigger stake in it. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah, LVMH is roughly a three hundred billion dollar company. Yeah, but he's also got a ton of other things from doing private equity and having his own. Yes, obviously he's been doing this since you know a very long time. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's um he's currently and how's he related to this? So Group Arnold, which is his private equity VC yeah. firm, yeah, uh, invested thirty oh, million dollars. Okay, they're the ones that invested in Netflix. So okay. obviously he's got Netflix stock as well. This guy, yeah. um, gotcha. which is part of the reason he's richer than Jeff. Uh, so yeah, in um, in September 1999, they launched the premium program. That was $16 a month, okay, uh, and meant that there was no late fees ever, and oh, you could rent wow. and you could rent four at a time. Okay, so that was their um. And you st- we're still sending physical discs, and we're point. still sending physical discs. And how's it related to Amazon? Uh, so they they send people to their the uh, the Netflix Amazon store mm-hmm. um, for like a cut okay. of the um, okay of the amount. But I think that Amazon's runs that side of it yep. anyway because they didn't want to compete like yes. amazon didn't want to compete with yep. them and okay. they didn't want to compete with amazon because okay. it was starting to get big yeah and um and so yeah in uh, so for netflix to actually break even on each disc they needed to generate 15 to 20 rentals per disc um oh, okay. which okay does seem like a lot for uh for that but they were doing yep. this whole subscription model thing and, yep. and getting sticky customers and that kind of thing yeah so um so in 1999 they were processing 10,000 orders every day wow uh, and they reported five million in revenue and made a loss of twenty nine million. Oh. So, um, so it's pretty, it's pretty intense, <laughs> like a l- very large loss for, yeah. um, for such a small business, like a DVD rental yes. subscription service. Very thing. large. Um, so at the same time, Blockbuster was making four and a half billion in revenue ah. and had sixty thousand employees yeah. and eight thousand stores. Wow. So that's um, nineteen ninety nine. Obviously, the better investment. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So in 2000, Netflix invited Blockbuster to invest in them and become partners. Okay, yep, I've heard about this. Uh, with Netflix doing the internet side of the business and Blockbuster doing the retail side. Yep. So the proposal was that Netflix would become Blockbuster.com. Um, oh, wow, really? So that was, they were fully willing to sacrifice and Whoa. just say, hey, you guys are massive. Yeah. Uh, you know, come on and like, yes. let's, let's make a partnership. Yeah. Uh, and they um, got laughed out of the uh, boardroom for um, for thinking that the internet was going to be a, a <laughs> bigger than their uh, their so retail funny, chains. Um, so at the end of two thousand, Netflix had made a loss of fifty seven million dollars. Wow! Uh, which is the next year, so they've gone from twenty nine million to loss to wow. fifty seven. Oh my gosh! Uh, two thousand and one was the price of a DVD player got down to a hundred dollars. Okay. So it's become significantly cheaper. Yeah. IPO'd in two thousand and two. Netflix uh, did. Yeah. Oh. Um, in 2003, they made a one. They had one million subscribers, and they made a profit. Hey, so, okay. Um, so that's the start of the the kind of turnaround. Nice. Uh, 2004, Blockbuster and Walmart 
released their own DVD yeah. um, mailing services. Yeah. So they were like, oh, DVDs, we, we better get onto this. True. You know, um, six or seven years later after. Um, Have you ever heard of Big Pond? Big Pond, yes. That was the Australian one. My dad used to do that. Oh, really? Yeah, he used to get little white envelopes, Big Pond on it. Oh, there you go. I don't know if it... Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember what company. I don't know if they had a parent company, but yeah, I used to do that all the time. Yeah, there you go. We used to have heaps of discs that were from Big Pond just sitting like <laughs> <laughs> been there for ages. <laughs> I thought that was a Telstra and internet um, uh, provider, but it might be both. Maybe. See, I had in my mind that it was a Telstra like child company. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. It probably is. Um, they might have bought it. So, um, yeah, so 2004 was when Blockbuster and Walmart released their own service and okay. Netflix stock fell by 75% <laughs> because <laughs> everyone's like Blockbuster, Walmart, yeah. Netflix. Like yeah, they can do it better. two massive yeah, conglomerates. Yeah. In 2005, Netflix shipped 1 million DVDs per day. Okay. Um, and had one, a select... What did you say? 1 million per, <laughs> one million per <laughs> day. 1 million? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's the individual DVDs. Yeah, and, that's um, a lot. And Blockbuster and Walmart both dropped out. Um, oh, so really? Netflix had 4.2 million users oh. uh, at the time, so they were using it using it very heavily. Yeah. Um, in 2006, Amazon Prime Video launches as Amazon Unbox. Oh, okay. Um, and that was what year? Sorry. 2006. 2006. Okay. Uh, and that was really nothing exciting and nothing like from what I've seen. Yeah. No good selections. No good. Oh, really? Um, Anything like that. Yeah. Just choose. It's an option to rent, or and most and people still, just bought. Still sending physical discs. And basically, basically, you can rent it instead of buying it on the Amazon store. Yeah. Uh, except okay. it's not particularly exciting because yep. a lot of people are just like, well, I'll just buy it for. Yes. I'll just buy it for a hundred percent more. Like I'll just yep. pay twice as much instead of renting it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, in two thousand seven, Netflix uh, sent out its one billionth DVD. Wow. Uh, and launched its own video on demand online streaming service ah. at no additional charge um, to the subscription. Really? Uh, and the content available to screen, the, um, so yeah, this is 2007. So yeah. the, uh, the content available to stream was really um, bad quality because it was yeah. really difficult to get rights for um, expensive content. It's just the, the dudes with the handy cams yeah. in, in the movie cinemas. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. It was, I think it was just bad, um, like bad titles. Yeah. Oh, okay. and um, <laughs> not bad, not not low quality. <laughs> well, it probably was low quality as well, but like one forty four p. Um, and also in two thousand seven, Hulu launches its uh, oh, yeah, its launches as a sign up website, which is being beta tested by um, NBC Universal News Corporation, Providence Whoa. Equity Partners, and later in two thousand and nine, Walt Disney. Wow, okay. Um, all have a stake in in that. That's huge. Um. And at the time, though, Hulu was just a... So, the website was just a, a uh, sign-up yep. um, for our newsletter thing. Yep. Uh, but it was launched as a TV channel. So, okay. um, so that's as a separate company, TV channel, which is owned by yep. a bunch of companies. Uh, in it still exists, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I've heard of it. Yeah, so it's um, it was the main competitor for um, Netflix in the, in the early days. Okay. So then 2008 came around and Netflix signed a deal with Stars, which is stars. with a Z. With a Z. Uh, for okay. $20 million. Okay. And that gave Netflix the ability to stream Sony and Disney content. Oh, cool. Um, so they started getting higher quality um, yeah. stuff on there. Uh, they then signed more deals to get apps made on Apple TV, Xbox, PlayStation, Smart. and Nintendo. Yeah. Um, 
and then they signed, even still in 2008, signed mm-hmm. deals with Paramount, MGM, and Lionsgate wow. to stream their selected content. Big couple of years there, hey. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that was all in, that's all in 2008. Yes. Um, but and then, then yeah, oh, they started it in 2007, right? They started it in, oh, they, yeah, sorry, they started the, the, the online, online streaming. Yeah, the online streaming stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. Had really bad content for a year. Yeah. And then basically, yeah, signed a ton of deals. Crazy. Got heaps more. Um, we're then skipping over 2009 because nothing happened there. Okay. 2010, Blockbuster files for bankruptcy. Uh, Netflix okay. expands into Canada. Oh, okay. Um, and Hulu launches its video-on-demand service, Hulu Plus, okay. in November 2010. Yeah. Uh, in 2011, Netflix expands to Latin America and the Caribbean. Okay. So 2011 was when Netflix saw licensing content um, deals becoming more and more expensive. Yeah, okay. So that was when they decided to create their first piece of original Netflix oh, content. 2011. House of Cards. Um, no way. That's so, their first? Yeah, so... Oh, my gosh. Um, Netflix, Such a good show. So, yeah, Netflix outbid... It's a very good show, yeah. yeah. It's high quality. Very. Um, so Netflix outbid HBO for the show by paying for the first two seasons up front for $100 million. Oh, um, goodness. And also in 2011, this is... Um, is you know the uh, Amazon with the Fire Phone, you know Jeff Bezos, oh, yeah, how yeah. he um, how he launches the yes. terrible thing. Yeah. So in 2011, Netflix launched Quickster, which is Q W I C K S T R, so okay. spelled with a W. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was going back to DVD on demand. Oh. Um, which it lost 800,000 subscribers um, for, wow. and um, <laughs> wow. and caused a 60% decline in their stock price. Oh wow! Again, um, how old are they? Shut down Quickster after one month because uh, they <laughs> so they let it run for uh, for one month. And but that's that impressive. Catastrophic failure. Yeah. Um, in 2012, Netflix expanded into Europe. Yep. And Amazon Pr- Prime Video starts doing streaming and expands internationally. Okay. Uh, in 2013, it um, House of Cards airs for the first time. Yep. Uh, and another um, another world first was that House of Cards season one was available all at once. Oh, uh, yeah. House of Cards has a score of eight point seven on IMDb, which is, is almost good? it's almost the highest you can get. Wow. Um, with uh, if you think about what's Star Wars? Well, there's so many. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I know the Godfather is nine point two. There we so, go. Okay. Uh, so there you go. But I don't know what other TV shows would be higher than eight point seven. True. Okay. So that's what um, about suits. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't look it up. Don't look it up. No, I'm going to. Oh no. <laughs> let's make this. Let's make this another two-hour episode. <laughs> Eight point four. Eight point four. Very close. Suits is very good. It is. Um, I couldn't think of anything better than those two. Well, not as good as uh, House of Cards on 8.7. No. So, um, Kevin Spacey though. Yeah. Oof. What a guy. Um, <laughs> they, um, About the Office. <laughs> well, it's not. It's not ranked higher, but we will get to the Office. Perfect. Um, <laughs> So uh, don't know. worry, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through every single show in their category. <laughs> 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 so they were um, they were essentially they were introducing the concept of binge watching watching through streaming yep. because they launched the whole season at once. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I see. So after this Netflix, because no one, I mean, people could binge watch. Sure, they had to change discs over. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. DVD player. Yes. Or um, if they were watching like an up like the newest episodes, it, one would come out every week. And yeah. so you can't really binge watch it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. Um, so then, yeah, so basically it's got that 15-second delay and that's all like, the, you yeah. know, you, you're just, I think just it's watching the next now, thing. Right? It's, it's a lot less now. Originally that was yeah. the um, that It's was the enough delay. time for you to go, no, I probably should go and do something else. And but now it's, it's like, not. Oh, now it's, no, it's running. So <laughs> it's even more convenient than 
yeah, in a sitcom, you'd watch seven episodes, then you'd get up, change the disc, yeah, and um, and then watch the next seven episodes, yeah, and then it's like, okay, I've cha- I've done two discs now. I should really do something else. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just really lazy and you like binge watching that much, um, so yeah, after this, Netflix quickly launched Arrested Development, Orange Is the New Black, um, as more in- original content. Oh yeah, uh, Orange Is the New Black. There you go. Um, so that was all in all in 2013, okay. uh, and. Blockbuster closes its last store at the end of the year. Oh, so sad. 2013, yeah. Not really, actually. <laughs> they laughed at Netflix. That's rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they laughed at them. Yeah. yeah, says them right. Yeah, exactly. be interesting to know who those people were. Yeah. Well, actually, um, I was doing research. Is there research. some interviews? Well, I was doing research, and uh, it was talking about 2008 when the, uh, when the CEO got fired, okay. who was the one that had like oh. get taken all yeah, of yeah. the offers yeah. from... Like had taken all the meetings with Netflix yeah. in the past. Oh wow! Because um, I think they'd done more than one meeting as well. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, and then yeah, he's he's got fired, and then two years later they file oh, for wow. bankruptcy. So not even guy? a new the new guy couldn't even. No, you know, no. He's left with a burning house. You know, yeah, it's not his the fault. house of cards fell down. There it is. And um, that is clippable content. Uh, <laughs> so there's <laughs> a real zinger there. 2014 House of Cards got nine Emmy nominations. Wow. Um. And What's an Emmy? Do you know what an Emmy is? An Emmy is one of the awards that make up an EGOT, which is oh. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. And that is the thing that all actors aspire to um, achieve. Okay. And you get a big diamond chain with... You don't really... People made their own EGOT, um, oh. a big diamond chain thing. Right, uh, so anyway. there's, there's a bunch of awards and the idea is to get them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like... To have a Tony, you have to... So this is why people do stage shows, because you oh. have to have a, um, a Broadway this. show to get a Tony. Really? Uh, and to get a, you know, to get a um, Emmy... This is an Emmy, so that's the first in the list. Yeah. Oscars, everyone knows what they are. Yeah. And Grammys are like... I don't know if Grammys are a musical music, award. I thought it was yeah. music. Yeah, so I think Grammys are a musical oh, award. right. So, so the whole idea like is to be... entertainment professional if you can get them all. So it's like uh, people that are like Jennifer Lopez yeah. or... Um, I think Hugh Jackman um, yeah. has tried to. He's done a Broadway show and obviously movies. And um, does he have music? Well, it's like uh, it's like the music of. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like a show. Okay. Or like oh, an yeah, original. Yeah. It's like original music from. Yeah. You know, Les Miserables or something. Yes. But not. But obviously that wasn't made by him. But yeah. anyway, yeah. whatever is whatever his show. Oh, is. that's good. Okay. So yeah, um, in Q4, so the 2014 Q4 users are 54 million. Wow. Uh, and in what 20 year are we in? 2014, 2014, and that's yeah. when yeah. House of Cards got all the yep. nominations because yes. of the previous years. Um, yes, yeah, House of Cards, and um, in 2015, Netflix announces a seven to one stock split. Oh yeah, uh, and Stan launches in Australia. Ah, so um, so there's a little local one for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2016, Netflix announced uh, international expansion into 130 new territories. Wow. Um, and it finished migrating its data servers to Amazon Web Services. Okay, so um. So yeah, there's a. Everyone uses AWS. They do in the modern world. Crazy. That's why they're such a massive company. So crazy. Uh, in 2017, Netflix are now in 73% of U.S. households. Wow, uh, which is pretty massive. That is massive. In 2019, um, in June, Netflix announces that it will be re- removing The Office and Friends. First <gasps> uh, of November, Apple launches Apple TV Plus. Yep. Twelfth of November. Disney uh, announces Disney Plus. Yeah. Um, 2020, uh, in April, Peacock launches. Oh, um, a streaming service made by NBC. Yeah. 
this is in April 2020, so this is only a year ago. Yeah. Um, so a streaming service made by NBC. Yeah. Uh, it now has 54 million users. Wow. Um, and it's got rapid growth because they took back shows like The Office, Parks and Rec, Seinfeld from Netflix, as well as having additional shows that are on the NBC network, like Modern Family, Saturday Night Live, and Law and Order. Whoa, they have all of that? Yeah, because they made all of it. Yeah. Um, and they were previously just licensing oh it. Oh my to goodness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Netflix and Hulu and stuff. Whoa. So they just took back all of their shows, basically. <laughs> and then in May, the next month, yeah. um, HBO Max launches with yeah. shows like The Big Bang Theory, Anthony yep. Bourdain, Friends, Game of Thrones, The Sopranos, True Detective. Whoa. So they took back Friends. Um, yeah. So first of all, yeah, The Office gets taken away by in April. Yeah. Then Friends gets taken away in May. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, Netflix are left with... The, um, there really was a sweet spot in time where there was only like Netflix and one or two others and yeah. they were just licensing everything, right? And yeah. you could have one or two streaming services and have everything you could think of. For sure. Yeah. Now we're living in this time where there's like, what, six, seven, Yeah, because everyone realized it was so late to the party. But yeah. we've seen that throughout all of Netflix's history. Yeah. Everyone's very late to the party yeah. and Netflix gets this sweet... Yeah. Um, spot, same with Walmart and Blockbuster yeah. launching their DVD on demand. Yeah. Like six years after yeah. <laughs> Netflix launches the True. DVD on demand. Um, so in 2021, um, Apple TV Plus has an estimated 40 million users. Okay. Um, however, 62% of them are on. So I'm going from worst to best. Okay. 62% um, of them are on a promotional plan, which means they're not paying for it. Oh, okay. So that's a little bit of a lame number. Yep. Hulu has 41.6 million users. Yeah. Um, so they're. Uh, second worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> Peacock has, uh, which is NBC's service, has yep. 54 million users, okay. which has grown in a year. Yeah, that's good. Um, HBO Max has 54 million users, okay. which is the same as um, Peacock, which has also grown in le even less time. Yep. Uh, Disney Plus has 116 million users. Yeah. Amazon Prime Video has 175 million users. Oh. And Netflix has 204 million users. Wow. So they've got the lead, but it's um. It's very heavy competition. Yes, it is. So, so that was kind of the that was kind of the timeline. Okay. Um, the next thing I'm going to talk about with Netflix is something that's quite clever and quite. Um, it's it was a little bit innovative at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. I assume that it's not as innovative now because since everyone's heard of it, yeah. so everyone can just implement it themselves. Yes. But the system for always being up and running because mm -hmm. uh, they almost never have outages. Yeah. Um, is called Chaos Mon Monkey. Okay. So they actually did have an outage. Uh, I think in 2014 in um, Christmas Eve and they were like most of the way through migrating to Amazon yep. and Amazon actually issued the apology for the outage. Yep. But um, the problem is the brand damage is done to Netflix. The yeah, brand yeah. damage isn't done for no. Amazon because no, right. nobody knows that everyone's using Amazon Web Services. Correct. So it's just some s very small press conference, I assume, yeah. that no one's watching yeah. that Amazon puts out <laughs> and then Netflix gets all the brand damage for Christmas yes. Eve. Yeah. Um, Netflix going out. Yeah. People are trying to watch their Christmas movies or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I, th I believe that's the last, um, last time that they've had a major, yeah, major outage. Wow. So chaos monkey is a randomized system that causes breakdowns in infrastructure network and applications. Mm -hmm. So the concept here is that most software companies simply follow short deadlines, yep. um, with their high expectations. Yeah. And once the project is finished, they move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, whereas this system, uh, it assumes that breakdowns are inevitable. Yeah. And so it randomly kills random instances of software oh. um, so that Netflix can always be up and running so that like it'll just, it'll randomly, something that I hadn't thought of, you know, yeah. it'll just kill that. And then it's like, well, now you haven't thought of it. Now it's killed. You know, ah. did you have a backup? Did you have a redundancy? Mm -hmm. 
How creates it? lots of little small problems. Mm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And then that forces the company to constantly optimize. So all the they have like teams of developers problems. that are consistently really um, fixing. And the they problems. don't have to think of things that might go wrong. They just have to. Uh, react to little things that are going wrong because of this thing called yeah. Chaos Monkey. Chaos yeah, monkey. okay. Yeah, so it's right. basically, yeah, imagine a, a monkey in your engine or whatever, yeah, just yeah. whacking stuff and then you yeah. got to keep getting out and fixing it. But <laughs> yeah, so that's, um, <laughs> you know, you didn't have a second engine. What's wrong with you? Um, yeah, cool. So yeah, that's um, that's it. That's it. Uh, the working culture is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So they've got unlimited vacation. Their uh, really? hours aren't clocked in or clocked out. Whoa. Um, it doesn't matter to them like when you um when you work and yep. the whole idea there is inspiration over supervision that's yep. their um that's their kind of motto around that mm-hmm. so yeah it's um it's got a pretty cool working culture i think yep. it's uh it's definitely they want people to be responsible so they basically said hey we don't we don't like clock in like we don't look at when you're arriving at work yeah so why would we look at if you've worked um 48 weeks or 50 weeks yep. or you know that kind of thing yeah and so then uh also the ceo said Something like that, which is um, uh, what's his name? Um, Hastings. He's um, Reed. so he's Reed yeah Reed Hastings. Hastings. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he said that we don't set. You know, it was like it was a very assumed thing. It was like we don't set the um, we don't set the dress code at oh, the yeah. company. Yeah. And people don't show up naked. <laughs> so <laughs> his whole thing is that we don't set the you know vacation and yes. you know, when you can and people will still come to leave. work and people will still yeah people will still come to work because it's all about responsibility it's all about yeah. like you know yeah. if you're if you feel responsible for an issue you're going to you know work yeah. hard at it so yeah it's um it's i guess it's a lot of that's about hiring the right people and yeah. um yeah it seems it's pretty cool though i like the concept i like so, it too yeah obviously if if you're not if you're not achieving the task that you're required to achieve yeah. that's probably what they more require yeah and if you yeah, and if you're taking twelve weeks of holiday every year, yeah. then you're obviously not supposed to be there. Like you're <laughs> obviously not doing any work. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, they'll just keep loving you with more and more work, mm. and then yeah, yeah, and they're like, well, you're not. You doing can it. keep farming yeah. it out to your virtual assistants. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> would be great. That would be um, a good way to do it. <laughs> uh, so some other stats about the uh, company: they've now got <laughs> nine thousand four hundred employees. Okay. Um, so they're f- still quite lightweight compared to so at um, in two thousand yeah. I mentioned that Blockbuster had sixty thousand employees. Yeah, that's right. Um, when they were making four and a half billion, um, the uh, their U.S. library contains uh, three thousand six hundred movies and one thousand eight hundred shows. Yeah, um, and The Office is the most streamed show on Netflix with fifty seven billion. So minutes. it is on Netflix. It was on um, Netflix. Oh, and it's still the most streamed. It's still the most streamed um, how show. Mi- how, mi- um, how much? 57 billion minutes. 57 billion minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and it was removed in um, 2020, which, yeah, basically means it, it still hasn't been beaten for most wow. viewed thing, which is why Peacock is so successful. Yes. Um, because, obviously, they've taken the most viewed That's show. insane. So, I think people just watch it. Over and over and over again. Yeah. And no, they do. Yeah. Just continuously watch the same. Sh- like, what do you mean people? You do. I don't Surely watch. You do. I don't watch The Office. Well, I didn't watch it more than once. Oh, okay, okay. I, <laughs> I do. You what? I mean, I would like I would, but like, I wouldn't be watching it. You know, twenty times. True. Not like Seinfeld. Yeah, not like Seinfeld. Seinfeld's great. <laughs> um. So at the peak of the virus lockdowns last year, yeah. uh, Netflix used an average of nine point six gigabytes of data per day per user. Oh wow! So um, Whoa. so that's pretty massive. That is a lot. That's a lot of data. You wouldn't want to be like tethering that off your phone. No, <laughs> that's like, <laughs> I'm assuming, 
like 9.6 gigabytes. It's got to be like four and a half hours of content or something It'd like that. It'd be a lot, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's if you're watching like the 4K, do they do 4K? True, yeah. I, Maybe I think so. If it's at least like high high definition stuff, which it all is, like, yeah, I guess it's a lot. Yeah. I don't know. So um, shared accounts, 18% of users share with a friend. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 9% share with a family member of a different household. Yeah. 26% share with a relative. Yeah. And 48% don't share. Oh, really? So, um, so that was a funny fact. More than half do share then. It's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's always one of those things. It's like, oh, originally I think it was very much a, oh, hope, hope they don't share with their friends thing. Yeah. Now they're clearly, tr- they know exactly yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously they can't get popular by saying, well, don't share your account. No, you no. Because no. that's just really uncool. Like, yes. You know, and they want to be actually a popular product. Yes. That's just find sneaky ways to not let you. Yeah, so they know they know that people are you know sharing accounts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, their usage of streaming minutes. Mm-hmm. So streaming platform Netflix has thirty four percent of um, of streaming. Uh, YouTube has twenty percent of streaming. Hulu has eleven percent. This is in the US yeah. um, for streaming minutes versus their rivals in quarter two twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, Amazon Prime was eight percent. Disney Plus was four percent, and other was twenty three percent. Yeah, right. So yeah, they got thirty. They got a third of um, wow. streaming for that's in twenty twenty. But yeah, wow. uh, which is the largest. Uh, yeah, and so Netflix crazy. is the largest. Yeah, yeah. Bigger um, than YouTube. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, even though YouTube's YouTube's like st- stated claim for usage, because I didn't mention that before, is two billion people. Yeah, which compared to Netflix is two hundred four million, but yeah. it's like those people aren't paying to use. No, YouTube. no, like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, that's not how many paid users they've no. got, so it doesn't really matter. It's true. Um, they're uh, onto their financials. Yep. So that this is this is kind of the bull side of it. Okay. The uh, twenty twenty revenue was twenty five billion dollars, mm-hmm. which was an increase of twenty four percent from twenty nineteen. Nice. Uh, and an increase um, in of 183% since 2016. Yep. So it made $8.8 billion in 2016. Yep. And um, it's done pretty well in the last four years. Okay. Um, earnings this year were $2.7 billion, which is up 40, 48%. Whoa. Um, so that's, that's a right. big yes from me because <laughs> they're growing earnings at twice the speed they're growing revenue. Yeah. So that shows that they're still scalable mm-hmm. like as they make Every every new dollar that they're making in revenue, mm-hmm. they're um they're growing earnings by even more. So yep. that's pretty cool. That is cool. Uh, and of their two hundred and three uh, million six hundred thousand, uh, sorry, two hundred yeah two hundred and three million, yeah six hundred thousand members. Yep. Um, one hundred and eighty nine million of them are paying members. Oh, okay. So primarily they've yeah they've got paid they've only got a couple of um people on so like five percent of them are promotional i guess so five like percent yes. of them are like first free month yeah that kind of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. so they're really into the into their stride of paying customers which is good yeah uh my bear case my um negative mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. about it are that they've only got an 11 percent profit margin mm-hmm. um that's not great but it is a it is like profitable yeah so that's better than making a loss true. and it is showing some meaningful growth um around the earnings and the revenue yes so that's not bad either yeah uh, the average monthly recurring revenue per paying customer is ten dollars ninety one, which is one hundred and thirty dollars per year. Mm-hmm. So um, that's only just up from their ten dollars eighty two, which is the previous year's monthly figure. Yep. So it's it's a very there's not a lot of room 
to grow revenue per customer, no. which is a huge negative, I think. Yeah. Um, you can't just add more spend per customer because if you up the rates, people don't like that. You yeah. know, if you up your prices. Yeah. Uh, so the only increase, the only way to increase is from acquiring new customers. Yep. Um, and 37% of all of Netflix's customer complaints are from price hikes. So <laughs> yeah, that's a problem, isn't it? Because if, if you, your main source of growth is through customer acquisition, as you're saying, then you're already the biggest, um, and you're already massive, yeah. like, and you've already potentially reached the cheapest customers to acquire, like surely customers become more and more expensive yeah, as yeah. you start to delve into the people who are less inclined to maybe sign up or need more coercing or whatever. And so I guess it ruins the bottom line potentially. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So uh, return on assets was 7%, which is pretty bad okay. for a, um, yeah. a tech, big tech company. Yeah. That's well into its like stride and return on equity was 24%, which isn't bad. Okay. Um, in terms of price movement, mm -hmm. so their current price is $515.92. Okay. Uh, in the last year, it's grown 7% from $482. Really? So I think that a lot of the expectation was priced in yep. uh, one year ago, which is, I mean, August 2020, so I guess it makes sense. Yep. Um, you know, they already knew that everyone was at home yep. sitting around, so I guess a lot of that was priced in. Yep. Uh, in the last five years, though, it's grown 438%. Yeah. From its price of $95. Yeah. And all time, it's grown 42,500% yeah. from its, that was, this is in, in today's terms, post split price mm -hmm. um, of $1.21 in 2002. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously, if you bought it for $1.21 <laughs> $1. in 2002, you would have been uh, yes. absolutely killing it. <laughs> but um, a lot of ups and downs along the way, but $515 is uh, quite a significant share price. That's good, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, 42,000%, which is great. Um, <laughs> Its current market cap is two hundred and twenty-eight billion, which means that its PE ratio is fifty-three. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously not great. Mm -hmm. uh, their their Netflix gaming division. So I mentioned this last week. Um, so they're launching Netflix gaming, and I think that'll be a way to beat the competition. Why did you mention this last week? I mentioned it because it was like a news. Like oh, a did little, you? Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, little little quick bit of news. Okay. Um, so there's very little information about it, yep. but um, Mike Verdu has been hired as their VP of gaming. Oh, okay. Um, and he used to be senior VP at uh, EA Games, oh. and he was a VP of EA Sports. Challenge everything. It's in the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's two different two different catchphrases, but that's all right. <laughs> challenge everything. We're doing know. ASMR now. <laughs> Maybe it's EA, EA Games. Challenge everything. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I'm confused now. Um, I was pretty confident before you said that. I mean, I'm not confused. It's the right catchphrase. I got it right. <laughs> um, no, it is, it is. It's in the game as well, though. So they've got two different ones. Okay. We'll agree to disagree. Um, so, the, um, <laughs> so, yeah, he was a senior VP at EA Games. And then he was most recently a VP of augmented reality and virtual reality uh, content at Facebook. Oh, okay. So, um, so that's interesting. So he's worked, you know, he's worked in big tech <laughs> and in gaming. That thing where... <laughs> That thing where he was driving around in the car. Uh, Mark in Zuckerberg? The, yeah. Yeah, that was the worst piece of content ever. <laughs> I hope he got fired and this is his new job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sure he only produced the good stuff. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, Mark You'll Zuckerberg. You'll have to get a clip. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg was in... Um, He'll have it saved somewhere. Yeah. He was in uh, a... It was like Puerto Rico after yeah. they flooded, after they had a hurricane. Something. 
And um, no, it was Puerto Rico. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, something similar to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Way to throw me off. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he's basically on on the roof of a car with his assistant, and he's like, "Wow, virtually. look at look at how he's not good." Actually. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. little. He's a little emoji guy. Is yeah. on the roof, yeah. and he's like, "Wow, look at how amazing the VR technicality is." And mm-hmm. it's like there's people cleaning up their houses after yeah. you know the whole house washing away. Yeah, and um, and it's just like a super incest. It is known as like proof that Mark Zuckerberg's a lizard person <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> he clearly has no emotions because <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, wow, look at how good my yeah, product just is having fun. in the middle of, yeah, in the middle of Puerto Rico. Um, or wherever it was. Yeah, <laughs> wherever it was. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what we do know is that apparently they're not building their own console. Uh, no. um, Were we expecting that? Well, no, but... okay. But I've seen a statement. That would have been crazy if they were building their own console. Well, it would have been pretty cool. Wow. Um, I didn't even consider that they would do that. Well, yeah, but they, they but could. They could if they wanted to. Yeah, I suppose. If they really want to. Um, they've already got... One thing that's cool is they've now got, like compared with how they used to be, they've now got animation, talent, voice acting, production skills, all yeah. like on staff, yeah. um, as well as the platform to distribute. So yeah. that's a, a big plus. And they're yeah, and they're not looking to offer it at any additional charge. So oh, okay, cool. There's very limited information about it, but it will be a cool one to uh, to watch. No additional charge, like no yet, f- yet, yeah, yeah. That's how they make more money. Yeah, so we don't really know. Um, Secondary paywalls, where it's like, actually, if you want, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you want the rest of our games, you have to pay an extra yeah. blah blah blah. Let you play the first first chapter, yeah, and then you get it. it. That's how they're gonna make more revenue per customer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the conclusion is that NBC realized they had the most streamed show ever, yep. The Office, yep. and they decided to distribute it themselves. Yep. Uh, and in one year, they've got 25% of Netflix's subscribers. Oh. Like essentially, well, they've got 25% of the number of... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so 50, 54 million or whatever. Yeah. Yep. And it's a very, very competitive environment, which is becoming even more difficult for Netflix. Yeah. I think it's good that they can make their own content now because yep. if they couldn't do that, they'd be dead in the water. Like they would yep. have no hope. Um, it's great that they're making more and more content and coming into their stride with that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I don't know, it's probably, it's it's still challenging. Like they're a production yeah. studio and they're, um, you know, and they're making TV shows, movies and, um, you know, mini limited series as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I would say it's interesting how, so when we're comparing, uh, when you were comparing, what's NBC's thing again? Peacock. Peacock. Yeah to um, Netflix and you're saying 25%. It's interesting how really to a certain extent each of the platforms isn't like mutually exclusive in yeah, regards to... Yeah, you can definitely have multiple signups. Yeah, yeah you, is, your content just needs to be good. It doesn't actually have to be better than the next company's content, you know? It just has to be good enough that keeps you on that platform as well as other ones. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's like you just eventually at some point you might decide, oh, I'll drop one of these, I'll, I won't drop one of these. Exactly. Or you might just keep all of them. So yeah. 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 They aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah. No. Yeah. Do you own it? Uh, oh. I don't own it, uh, but I'll, I'll just wrap up anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't own it. I won't be owning it. Right. But it's not really, I, it doesn't feel like a growth stock to me. No, I feel like it's very mature. Yeah. Um, especially since, because like, I didn't know that it'd been around for... Since yeah. 1997. Yeah. Like, I just assumed... And IPO'd in, like, 2003 or something? 2002, yeah. Two, yeah. Yeah, it's long yeah time so ago. I just assumed that... Almost 20 years. Yeah. I just assumed that it kind of came out in 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, because I guess we got it... We yes. literally got it in, like, 2012 or 2013. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Interesting. Bit, yeah. Australia cool. was a bit behind. So, yeah. Yes. Bearish. 
Nah, not bearish. I just wouldn't own it. It's boring. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, I was thinking about uh, crypto, and I was looking at um, I was looking at some new projects um, that people have been working on, and there's there's one that I thought would be interesting to talk about, not for any particular reason other than they're doing a couple of things differently, and I thought it would just be an interesting conversation. So um, this um, company is called Everrise. Everrise. Yep. So it's Ever. It's, it's like the boxing gloves. Uh, that's Everlast, I think. Everlast. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like that. It's Everrise. And so the mission for this company is to provide a platform with DAP tools <laughs> and education. Isn't that what the, co- the kids are doing on uh, TikTok these days? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's dabbing. Sorry. I don't think that's, that's even what they're doing <laughs> these days. I think that's what they did like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> on the TikTok. On the TikTok. On the TikTok. <laughs> Um, so, um, provide a platform with DAP tools and education to give investors control over their DeFi um, and empowering visionaries and developers to earn their investors' trust. So, let's break that down a bit. So, And that's the system is called DAP? Uh, no, no. I'll, let me explain what it... So, okay, so a DAP is a decentralized application. Ah. So, it's like a, it's like a category of thing. Right, okay. Um, so, to provide a platform with... DAP tools would be like saying decentralized application tools. Yeah. And so I'll explain what some of those DAPs are um, in a moment. So I'll tell you more about the team itself. All right. So there's um, there's 12 team members and there's a term that I'd never heard before, which is called doxing or doxed. Okay. Have you ever heard of this? I haven't heard of it. No. Okay. Uh, it's a... Uh, it, uh, so doxed means or to to dox or to to be doxing <laughs> means and it's actually i don't think it's a exclusively like it's online thing right um it basically means to show uh, your personality after hiding it for a while ah. that's a like a not a very well worded definition but um the idea is there's all these developers who are making uh content and stuff like that making um, applications and making crypto and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And a lot of them don't show their identity. They yeah. make up a fake name and stuff. Yeah. And so they dox when they like come out on YouTube stream or something and show their identity, show their yeah. face and their actual name. So there's a few of their team who haven't doxed yet. <laughs> it's such a nerdy term, but it's, it's funny. It's very geeky to be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm super private because I don't want the government to know where I live. Yeah. You know? It's like, I'm like watching interviews with the, some of these team members and yeah. they're all just like, it's just the logo of the company and it's just like moving when they're talking, but like Uh, all the other interviewers have got their cameras on, but they won't show their faces. Yeah. They don't even know the names of some of them. So the CEO and the head developer, his name's Titan. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And he he hasn't doxxed, but... (laughs) How are you supposed to trust a company that isn't, you know? Well, so... I know it's decentralized. No, so it's a good question. No, no, no. It is a good question. And this particular structure does lead to a few of those questions, which we'll get into. Yeah. But... I suppose one thing that I learned in this research is that there are um, companies that certify and do external um, certification for these projects. So there's a company called um, Certic and one of their main things, uh, is they have a side of their business called Certic Shield where you can insure your, your crypto assets for like if they come under attack and someone steals them or whatever, you can take out insurance with this company. But the other side of the company is they actually um, go in and do like, you know how like, you know, a, a company has like EY come in and they yeah. look up, look at all their documents and say, yeah, yeah, the actual f- revenue figures are correct. Otherwise you could say, well, 
you know, Netflix said that they made this much revenue this year, but who knows if they actually did. Yeah, yeah. The only way you know that is because, you know, they've been approved and certified by this company. Well, apparently these crypto projects have the same thing. So they've got their own kind of auditor. Yeah, so it's, an audit, so it's an auditing company called Certic yeah. and a second one, which I've got written down here in a minute, um, who have audited uh, the plan and they give like they give like a scales for all of these factors. Like uh, they're all really technical terms, but like all of the factors that make up a well, um, uh, well-written, safe crypto project and they'll just give you scores on all of those things. And so you can go on and read them online for this particular project and others. So I guess that's how you can have some uh, level of uh, trust, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but I agree. It is strange. But anyway, so he's going to come out at the end of the month anyway on a live YouTube stream and um, undocks. <laughs> come out as himself. <laughs> or docks. <laughs> um, so it's not like being gay, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a real person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a few other notable staff members is the community marketing leader. His name's Justin Tyler, and they call him Lord TJ. <laughs> and uh, he's actually <laughs> he's actually a country music artist with, but um, he's not very successful in my opinion. He's only got thirty five thousand monthly listeners, which is like pretty average. Um, but it's very random. He's like a th- they described him as like a crypto enthusiast, and he's obviously just the face of it. It's more. Uh more listeners than HQLA. It's true. But we're very exclusive. We are very exclusive. Join, <laughs> join the club today. Subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have a crypto consultant. Um, his name's Marco. And he was previously the business director at Certic Shield, which is the insurance which is arm the, of that yep. company that I was mentioning before. Um, and they've got a couple of other, they've got a bunch of other um, members. We've talked before about the ratio to of technical development team versus marketing team when it comes to these projects. And I'd say it's not a favorable mix from from our perspective. There's probably two or three technical team members in the 12-member um, team. Oh, really? The rest of them are all like, I'll, I'll read out some names, like branding consultant, marketing operations, project manager, creative content lead, visual media and content um, producer, staff manager, uh, community marketing manager. So like the, there's a lot of like... <laughs> A lot of, yeah, right. Content creation, marketing, media, community people, which is obviously you do need. But um, I think from the community that I could, what I could tell from trying to jump into the community for a bit, the CEO, Titan, is really like, he's like almost like this God figure in the community. Yeah. And so it's like kind of like he's had this like crazy um, idea and has his crazy development skills and all he needs is a marketing team to market his product. Right, yeah. So that's kind yeah. of the vibe that I was getting. Yeah. It's not a it's not like a ground form like it's not a ground up form team. It's like he had this idea and then I don't know how it originated, but that's my take. Um so I'll talk a bit more about the coin. So the coin is called Rise, R I S E. And you cannot buy this on a centralized exchange. So you can't buy this on Coinbase or, or um Binance or anything like that. You have to buy it on these random um, decentralized exchanges, also known as DEX. Um, and so that would be like, there's one called PancakeSwap, for uh, example. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can buy it on there yeah, or trade it on there. Yeah, I wanted to talk about um, PancakeSwap. Well, that so could lead into a good segment in later days. Yeah, up up 0.33. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's correct. Now, can you see? read out that <laughs> read out that price thing? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it in a second. <laughs> All right, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um the um yeah there's not the so market there's not one the, um, ticker uh, s- no obviously there's a few projects with the same ticker 
Yeah. Which is pretty stupid. But anyway, <laughs> um, well, Rise is obviously a popular name. Um, see next to the market cap, it's got the little exclamation mark. Uh, next to, yes. That's yes, an I interesting do. thing. That makes, it shows you how like, kind of like, I don't know, small this project is. Yeah. That's not even a verified figure and it's actually not correct. I looked at a, a live interview yesterday oh. and I'll give you the actual market cap and that's not correct. Right. Because so, it says here the CMC team, which is um, coin market cap, yeah. um, have not verified the project's market cap. Yeah. However, according to the project, it's self-reported CS is, whoa, I don't know. I can't read that number with a self-reported market cap of 37. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It's interesting. Hey. I'll give you some. I'll give you some figures that are actually correct from the company as of yesterday afternoon, um, as opposed to third hand or second hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, okay. So Rise, the currency, um, it provides a currency for the ecosystem. I'll get a bit more into this as we go along. So just bear with me. But um, basically, um, it's on the Binance smart chain. So Binance have their own chain, blockchain, in the same way that Ethereum is a chain. And people put um, all different tokens on Ethereum. And then the currency for that um, particular chain is Ether. Um, BSC or Binance Smart Chain. You can also put a bunch of different tokens and stuff on that. This token is called Rise. And um, when you create a new token, you can set how many decimal points it can have. And so this one can have nine decimal points. So as it'll become evident in a second... <laughs> the current price of this coin is uh, $7.34 to the minus eight. Okay. That's the only way I can say it, which also looks like 0 0.00000073342. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they made too many. <laughs> well, yeah. So they've made they've made a quadrillion tokens. Yeah, see? That's why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the all-time high, I'll talk about it in just dollar terms here, but note every figure that I give you is to the minus eight. So the current price is $2.71 to the minus eight. Um, uh, sorry, sorry. $7.34 to the minus eight. All-time low, which was in June 2021, which was uh, it's the project... Oh, hang on here. I did have it written down. When did the launch? Hang on. Ah, here we go. So pre-sale for the actual coin. So the first day that it it, um, it was sold was on June 16th. And then on June 21 was the all-time low to date, which uh, was 271. And then all-time high is 1086. So we're currently sitting at 734. So we're kind of in the upper half um, of the priced um I guess, scale that it's been on. Um, and just to put it in perspective, if you bought $500 of Rise right now, yeah, and the price increased to one cent. Yes. That's I will say, now, if the price increased, yeah, if the price increased to one cent, yeah, you'd have uh, just under $70 million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Silly denominations, that's what that is. So the market cap. Uh, market cap as of yesterday from the words of the community manager on a live YouTube stream is 52 million Australian dollars. Okay. Um, and Nano is 1.7 billion. Um, ADA, which is Cardano, is 92 billion. Uh, and then Bitcoin, for example, right now is 1.2 trillion. So we've crossed back over the trillion dollar mark. Remember we talked yes, about this the other day? Right. It was nine hundred. Yeah, so about sixty thousand Australian dollars at the moment, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, which is I've had also a good little run. 
in the last week I've bought Nano and oh, um, did ADA. You? Oh, nice. So yes, I was very late to the party, but also I... Well, it's it, fine. I, it's, yeah. Yeah, you've probably got them cheaper than I bought them at. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> got to keep in mind. Well, so this, I, faced, I was faced with a funny problem where Bitcoin was all of a sudden like $80,000. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to have a whole... I didn't have a whole, but I, was, I basically had a whole Bitcoin. It was like nine point something, something. What, 0.9 or whatever. Big baller. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then and you sold it at 35. <laughs> no, no. And so I was like, I should diversify this a bit. And so I, towards the peak, diversified into Ethereum, um, Cardano, Nano. Yeah. Um, and they were also all towards the peak. And so they all kind of dipped and then they're all peaking. So like, I don't, maybe there's some better way of doing it, but in my mind, it is what it is. Like you could sell it and buy less when it was at the low, but then... Yes, it would look better in the figures for, say, Nano, for example, but I wouldn't have ever bought as much of it because I wouldn't have had as much money. So, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah. Um, so, for example, the market cap, Nano is 23 times. Um, Cardano is 1,700 and change times. And Bitcoin is uh, 23,000 times the market cap. Yeah. Just to put it in perspective. So, you said we talked about supply. So, it's got a quadrillion coins. Um, but the current supply is only a bit over 790 billion coins. And that's not because there's more to be created. That's because they burn the coins. Ah, one of these ones. Yeah. So yeah. they've burnt um, from about, I can't get the exact figure because again, it's a bit hard to find, but they've burnt anywhere between 21 and 23% of the coins um, have been burnt to date. Wow. Which is a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and so how do they do that? Exactly. How do they do that? Well, let's talk about it. So, we'll talk about fees first. So, fees for transactions are 11%, which is quite high. <laughs> what is this scam called? We talked about Nano about? the other week and it was zero. Yeah. Um, so, very different kind of project. Um, and purpose of this project is completely different to Nano, which we'll probably, you'll see in a minute. Um, so, 2% of that 11%, uh, no, 2%. Uh, is um, static reflection rewards. So that's a fancy term. And all that means is anyone who owns the, the currency at the time of a transaction gets a very small portion weighted as to how much you have okay. of the 2% transaction fee. Yeah. Then there's the 3%, um, which is goes towards project sustainability and development. Okay. That's the total of 5%. Um, and then uh, 6%, is towards their buyback scheme. <laughs> okay. Um, and so this is the first ever crypto to have a buyback scheme. Okay. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Right? And so you'd know buybacks from uh, the stock market, right? I feel like we even talked about this the other week where we were talking about how they do it. Yes. I can't remember what company it was. Do you remember we talked about that? Yeah, AMD. AMD. Yeah. Right. We're talking about how they buy back stock. Yeah. Um, and so uh, included in a term called tokenometrics. No. To oh, tokenomics, I think is how you're supposed to say it. Ah, tokenomics. Yeah. So included in the tokenomics of this particular currency uh, is the fact that you can, or the fact that they buy back and burn the crypto. And so what does tokenomics mean? Well, the definition is the topic of understanding the supply and demand characteristics of uh, a cryptocurrency. So it's basically like economics, but for tokens, <laughs> which are cryptocurrency. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's, so, a, there's a book, when I looked it up, there's a book called Tokenomics, The Crypto Shift of Blockchains, ICOs, and Tokens. Oh, there you go. So maybe that's where it comes from. Could be. Um, and so, um, a tr so, let, so let, let's say, for example, like a traditional economist. 
they look at the M1 money supply and the M2. And I looked at what they were so that we could get a definition for everybody. And so M1 supply is the country's basic money supply, uh, which is what's the, it's the stuff that's used as a medium of exchange, like uh, demand deposit accounts where I can just kind of like pay for stuff very quickly and checking accounts, stuff like that, right? Yes. And then M2 includes all of that money in addition to uh, near money. So like savings accounts uh, and uh, money market securities. So very short-term um, debt market uh, securities and uh, maybe mutual funds and things like that, right? Yeah. And so then economists use the M2 supply, which just includes M1, um, and they basically try to judge whether or not uh, they can see uh, elements of inflation within the system. So whatever that figure is, if that M2 money supply is increasing and increasing and increasing, that basically means what you've owned is becoming less scarce. And so that's uh, where we see inflation and we see the price of goods and services increasing uh, in respect to the value of or our buying power with the money that we have because we're getting, uh, like the price is becoming inflated. Yeah. Is and, that about uh, right? Yeah, an M3 supply. Oh, yeah, I didn't look at M3. Is, uh, <laughs> M3 supply is the um, the balance sheet of every bank. Oh, okay. Uh, and basically M3 tells you every piece of money. Um, yeah, because it includes M2 in the country. and M1, right? Uh, well, no, because no. the balance sheet in, of a bank it will tell does. you every um, piece of money in the country. Yeah, so, right. yeah, that's... Um, that's basically so if you take all the balance sheets of all the banks mm-hmm. and add them all up yeah. then that's all of the money in the country oh and that's m3 so yeah because it's got because the balance sheets of the banks have mm. um all the all those deposits they've got all of the loans yeah. that people have done yeah. and they've also got the um so that that tells you how much money is out there yeah. um given to people but it also tells you how much money people have to spend you yeah. know in their deposit accounts yeah but it also tells you uh, money market stuff, it yep. tells you which bonds are, you know, it basically tells you how much value is in bonds, how much yep. value is in stock. Yeah. Um, because every stock, every bond, every short-term security and everything like that yep. have to have been purchased by someone yes. at some point and some cash has changed hands. Hmm. So, yeah, basically it tells you the, the whole value of all of the money in the country. Interesting. So, yeah, I, um, yeah. There you go. Uh, that's good. And so, um, as I said, um, economists are looking for um, like elements of inflation and they'll adjust um, their monetary policy accordingly. And so moving on from that in crypto, in a lot of these, excuse me, in a lot of these crypto um, tokens, they've got preset um, like algorithmic um, uh, issuance schedules. And so what, so you, you've seen like uh, Bitcoin, for example, they have a max supply of like uh, 21 million Bitcoin or something like that. 20 million. I think it's 21 million. And that, that process um, of mining those Bitcoins is supposed to finish uh, uh, in like 2000, uh, 2140 or whatever you call it, 2140. Yeah. Is that what you call it? Yeah. We've never been that high yet. Yeah. Uh, that'll do. <laughs> um, and then every four years. What? So like another 120 years. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So it's just going to get that hard that it'll. Yes. That. Right. Okay. So every four years, as I was saying, every four years. Um, I just assumed it'd be like in 10 years because of how good computers yeah, because and stuff will get. Well, yeah, I don't know. Like right now, um, the rewards are six and a quarter Bitcoin per block. Yeah. That's mined. And then every four years, which is in 2024, that's halved. So it becomes three and 1.25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Bitcoins for every block that's mined. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, yeah, 
computers will become more complicated and more complex and able to solve things quicker. But that just means they get large amounts, like they can get a higher hash rate, which gets them larger amounts of whatever that pool is. But if the pool's only three point something Bitcoins, yeah. that, that's the max they can get. Yeah. So then I guess, I mean, this is a bit off topic, but then for those Bitcoin mining companies, the price of Bitcoin has to reflect, um, it has to increase because they're getting less and less and less stuff. You know, every four years, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're getting half as much as they would have. And if it doesn't increase, they just mine something else. Because exactly. It's not going to, yeah. Because it's not paying off for them. Yeah. Um, and so it is interesting to see how it um, plays out. So anyway, moving on. So that's an example of um, on certain allocated algorithmic periods um, issuing new of, of that particular currency, and that's Bitcoin. Um, but um, conversely to that, uh, the buyback process um, is what... Um, is what uh, Everise have decided to incorporate. And so, as I said, they're claiming to be the first ever, but there's been a bunch of others who have, have uh, included that technology or tokenomics into their yeah. um, coins. And so, the process is called the Kraken. The Kraken. Yep. Yeah. Initially, I was really confused because I was looking in some of their chat forums and everyone's talking about Kraken. And I thought, there's an exchange called Kraken as well. Oh, uh, yeah, true. And yeah. so, I was yeah. thinking, oh, why is it? Why is everyone talking about this particular exchange? But I don't think it's related. Um I don't know what Kraken means. Maybe it means something that's related to them. Tentacle arms. Is that what it means? Yeah, you've seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, not really. There's a big tentacle arm monster and it comes and takes all the people off the... Oh, that's called Kraken, is it? Yeah, it's, it's the Kraken. It's okay. The so it's, okay. I think it's an old... I think it's like an ancient Greek monster that okay. is huge. It's a gigantic octopus that can swallow ships and stuff like okay, that. Okay, right. That Well, that makes yeah. more sense. So, um, basically, um, the way this works is... Uh, the 6% buyback transaction fee that I said, so there was a 2% that goes towards reflections, which is handed out to all the people who have crypto at that point, or that particular coin. 3% goes towards development of the paying staff and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then 6% goes towards this buyback. So what happens is um, once uh, the account that takes this 6% on every transaction, uh, initially it happened on every cell. No, sorry, that's that's not right. It happens on every buy and every sell, um, and so every all this six percent keeps coming into this wallet, and once the wallet gets to fifty billion rise, then it sells or transfers and buys BNB, which is Binance coin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, it's held in this Binance wallet, which is called the Kraken Strategic Reserves. <laughs> okay. And so it was. <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe it was the fact that this thing was becoming quite large, this account was becoming quite large, that maybe they termed it the Kraken. I don't know. Right. Um, sounds like it could work to your um, suggestion there. And so, okay, so 6% goes into the strategic, strategic buyback um, account. Once there's 50 billion rise in that account, it transfers it to BNB, which is the Binance coin. And then once, uh, so it's held in, in this account, which has the Binance coin in it. And that's called the Kraken Strategic Reserves account. And so talking a little bit more about Binance. So um, BNB is issued by Binance and yep. it, was a th it was originally on the Ethereum chain. Um, but then uh, Binance created their own um, smart, it's called Binance Smart Chain. And so they put the BNB onto their chain. Um, and then they have a max um, number of tokens as well, which is 200 million. And they also um, employ a kind of similar burning scheme, which I didn't realize. Yeah. So every quarter, <laughs> Binance uses f a fifth yeah. of its profits and they repurchase and burn coins um, uh, 
which is I think really interesting. Yeah. And so um, uh, to show market cap for BNB, it's actually the third in rank. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, and and then BNB, which is actually really similar to Cardano, which is so Cardano is ninety two billion. Yeah. And uh, BNB is ninety three billion. Yeah. So right. I'm sure maybe the d- whenever this they comes switch, out, it might have switched. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. So th- they've now got this wallet, which has got a bunch of BNB in it. And initially, it was coded into the smart contract that this is where I got confused a second ago. After every cell, um, it would automatically um, purchase a set amount of um, rise from the open market, taken into this account, which is called um, the burn account or whatever. And no one has access to that account. And so it's now not able to be accessed. Yeah. And which, which part of the fee is that? Six percent. Six percent. Right. So that oh, that's in their buyback. No, 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 no. Sorry, it's not related. That's where I got confused. Ah, the six percent right. funds this account. Right. And, and then, then that account literally just goes into the open market after a sell in an unrelated transaction. Yeah. And buys some in some sort of proportion to whatever the sell was. Yeah. Whatever they've figured out. Buys some rise in the open market. Yeah. Which goes into a wallet which is burnt. Yeah. So the idea is imagine there's a big sale which pushes the price down. Yeah. Uh, they they go then and do a buy. Yeah. And the idea is it pushes it back up to yeah. some extent. So it sounds like, to me, it's, uh, and this is probably going to offend all of the, like, you know. Careful what you say. Ever-rise um, <laughs> fanboys, but it feels purposely fraudulent. Okay. Like, uh, no, it feels I agree. as though. Well, you wait. It's, it, gets, it sounds more in a second. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> it sounds like our thing is actually not worth much, and we know it's not worth much, and that's why we've got 6% of every <laughs> transaction, which has to force the price back up. Because we're kind of bad. Okay. And we can't let a free market decide. Not sure how diplomatic that was, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate your honest response. <laughs> well, no, you're the one giving the segment. Yeah. <laughs> Separate my thoughts from, uh, from his. No, so so, um, so the problem there was they got hit by a bot attack and um, <laughs> it was starting to drain this account. I don't know the, the, the manner in which it did it, but they had to put a stop on it. And so um, right now, <laughs> the way it works is Titan controls the function himself yeah, or herself <laughs> and um, they implement the uh, buyback function as the Reserve Bank would to try and control almost their crypto monetary policy yeah, to try and keep it at the inflation rate that they think it should be at or keep it at the price that they should be at. Yeah, yeah. So you think that was dodgy. That's a little bit more <laughs> dodgy. <laughs> well, it's cool that they're playing central bank. You know, that's a that's a kind of cool little concept. You yes, know, it's like a little a little introduction to economics for people that like crypto and yes, you know, yeah. Um, so I thought at this point it would be good to try and bring some objective perspective as to um, why. So when we looked at Nano, the purpose of Nano was to create a currency that was free of transactions fees. Um, so that you could transfer between people even small sums of money and it was um, really quick and lightweight. Yeah. This um, this particular project is not along those lines at all. Yeah. Th- the particular project is not a capital investment project where you're supposed to buy it and see it go up in price. It's not necessarily tr- trying to be a speculative investment. It's The coin itself is just a medium of exchange yeah. for these dApps that I'm about to go into. So I think at that point... Whilst it does sound very strange that they're trying to influence the price artificially, um, I think the purpose of that is just to bring stability, to bring stability to the whole ecosystem where the apps are operating. Because 
imagine if if this currency is underlying the, your ability to function with these apps in their ecosystem and the price of the currency is just going crazy people are not it's not going to be a usable currency in the same way that if you know the the whole thing where it's like if i'm using bitcoin to go to the shops and bitcoin goes up and down on my way to the shops and now i've got half as much as i thought i did yeah, yeah. i can't buy what i wanted to buy yeah um and so they're trying to mitigate that problem so in saying that let's talk about the dapps dapps yes so as i said um dapps uh are short for decentralized applications and um the first one, the first DAP um, from Everrise is going to be launching at the end of this month. So take into account that about a month ago, they pre-sold their coin. It's now on, I think, PancakeSwap and a few other um, DEX um, decentralized exchanges for you to trade. <sighs> Excuse me. But uh, at the end of this month, um, as I said, Titan's going to come out and um, docks. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. when he does that, he's going to launch the first DAP, and so, yes. um, so the plan is for their DAP to be cross-chain compatible. So what that means is, yes, it'll roll out um, on the Binance Smart Chain with these smart contracts, which are basically what their DAPs are. Um, but then it'll allow um, ERC twenty tokens to use the DAPs now. What are ERC-20 tokens? What are ERC-20 tokens? <laughs> so that is the type of tokens that are able to be created and the standardization of the tokens on the Ethereum network. Okay? So on the Binance Smart Chain, they use BEP-20 as a standard. On the, on the Ethereum network, they use ERC-20. Okay? So what that means is uh, it's called... I'm not sure. Oh, here we go. It's called Ethereum Request for Comment is what ERC stands for. <laughs> and then 20 is just the project number. Um, it, feels like a, uh, it feels like a patent pending, like, you know, you know when, a, um, when you get a product and it's got patent pending oh, yeah. written on the side? True. It feels like Ethereum Request for Comment. You know, it just, it just yeah. feels like they haven't named it yet. It's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so they're saying that... Um, uh, tokens that exist on the Ethereum blockchain could potentially also be um, used on the um, DApps software. So they'll create some sort of cross-chain compatibility between the two. Um, and so uh, let's just talk a little bit about ERC-20 because I think it would be interesting to understand what it means a little bit more. I thought it was. So okay, yeah. I'll just share it a little bit. Um, and so um, ERC-20 are the tokens. It's a standard a way of creating tokens on the Ethereum network. And um, obviously the native currency on, a, on the Ethereum network is Ether. Yeah. And so, um, uh, so basically tokens are created um, by use of smart contracts. And so this smart contract is responsible for cr the creation of the token, but then um, handling transactions and uh, keeping track of balances. Um, and so um, to get a token, you send ETH uh, or, yeah, or Ether. And so um, the, the contract gives you the token in exchange. So let's say, I don't know what my token is, but I could create a token called Nathan token. Yeah. yeah. And, and you could go and buy it and you'd buy it with Ethereum, oh, with Ether, sorry, yeah. on the Ethereum chain. 
and then you'd be you'd be given my token or whatever token is on that network. Um, but the problem with creating tokens is that once a smart contract is deployed, it can't be taken back. And so if you deploy a smart contract and there's something wrong with it and it stops working, there's yeah. nothing you can do. Yeah. You don't have control over it anymore. And so that's an important point that we should come back to uh, in a minute. And so the other problem is, <laughs> the word that you love, interoperability. <laughs> <laughs> interoperability. <laughs> um, uh, which is how the tokens interact with each other. Imagine people create all these different tokens uh, on this network and they're all functioning in a different way and there's no standardization. And so to to uh, f- to have the two tokens be able to talk to each other, you need to create some sort of interface in between, which creates more code. And so um, the community proposed a standard, right? Yeah. And the standard was called ERC-20 and it was like a set of guidelines um, for the creation of tokens on this network. So... There was there's three optional guidelines and six mandatory guidelines. The first optional guideline is token name, second is symbol, and the third is decimal supported. So like I said, uh, RISE has nine decimals. It's Im- implemented into the code. Um, and then the six mandatory guidelines is total supply, which um, is a method that defines the total supply. And then balance of, uh, which is a method... Uh, that takes into account how many tokens each given address has. So it has to be able to like determine that. Uh, the next one's called transfer, which is number three, which takes uh, from those in supply and gives to a user. And so like, uh, yeah, so like say there's a bunch in supply and someone wants to buy one, it's the function that allows it to give it to the user. Um, transfer from is transferring between one user to another user in the secondary market. Uh, and approve, verifies that uh, a contract can give a certain amount of tokens to a user, keeping in mind the total supply. So with transfer, if we're transferring from supply to a given user, it then also uses the approve function to verify that the total supply can handle uh, the, the purchase that that initial user wanted to purchase. And then the sixth one <laughs> is called allowance, which verifies that one user has enough balance to supply uh, a certain token or coin to another user. And those are the six factors that have to be met um, under the ERC-20 so that um, yes. they so that people know how coins can interact exactly. if they're making a new coin on, on Ethereum. Exactly right. So now they've, they've almost got like a template. That's the summary. That's the... Uh, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they've got like a template. That's a good summary. And so now, exactly right, we can have multiple coins and they've all got the same like dot point heading functions yeah. and they can talk to each other. Yeah. And you thought I wasn't listening. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> You're gotcha. getting pretty glazy. That's why I was putting the chair down. I was just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the benefit of ERC-20 is it allows an exchange like Binance, for example, to automatically accept any token that's using the ERC-20 standard. Yeah. And so whereas previously you know, in in the initial stages of crypto or whatever, people are making their own tokens using whatever template they want. Every time you want to add a new token to the exchange, you have to create code between each token yeah. for them to be able to interact. Yeah. Now they automatically do. So it's kind of cool. So remember I said one of the problems with creating like a smart contract is once you deploy it uh, or you like renounce your ownership of it, you can't, there's you can't you can change do. it, right? Yeah. And, but the reason that people do that is that you you can put it into into practice, but you can still hold ownership of it. But 
the the reason that people or projects renounce the contract is because once it's renounced, you now um, can't go in and make back end changes. Yeah. You know, like it's the code's just running. And yeah. You ne- you've now sealed off the back end. Yeah. You don't have control over it. And so that builds trust into the community because it's now decentralized. There's no central body able to control it. Yeah. But the problem with that is, is you can't make adjustments. Yeah, yeah. And so the first dApp that Everize decided to create. Yeah. And it's actually the founding idea of Everize. So remember, the idea of Everize wasn't to create a nano style token. Yeah. It was for this idea. And it's actually a really cool idea. So the founding idea of Everize was so that developers can renounce contracts to Everown. So Everown is a dApp, which is obviously some sort of uh, smart contract in itself. Yeah. Um, and Everown will basically hold uh, the contract until the developer wants to reclaim it for some sort of improvement or, you know, maintenance or repairs or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, once attempting to reclaim, uh, all those who hold the native token of that contract, like, you know, uh, uh, in the community, they can then decide whether or not the developer can reclaim it back. So this is interesting because it sounds a lot like Everown is yeah. a professional trustee company oh, yeah. for um, yep. crypto. So, yep. yeah, because a professional trustee or whatever mm-hmm. manages a trust on behalf of someone else so yep. that they can keep things arm's length. Yep. So it sounds a lot like a developer will want to um, do a deal with someone else for to buy a company or something. Yeah. And then they decide to um, use Everown uh, to handle the contract to do the um, to do the smart contract between both oh, yeah. parties. Yep. And it sounds a lot like Everown is kind of like the professional trustee that like looks after the contract mm-hmm. um, for them. As although it almost sounds like they're taking away the point of the smart contract as well. Yes. So, okay. So so to. So it holds onto it. It doesn't. It doesn't manage it. It holds onto it. Correct. It just holds onto it. And I think maybe. I think maybe that example uh, isn't quite right. So they, when I was watching, I was watching this live stream, and one of the interviewers asked if it was like a governance token. Yeah. And I don't know whether a governance token might be similar to what you're talking about, because um, they said uh, it's kind of not the same. I guess in this situation, in it, it's more like imagine I create Nano Coin, and then I want everyone to trust it and use it as a decentralized application, like token. And so I think it's pretty good. And so I um, I put it out into the world and I essentially renounce it, but ownership of the contract and like the key to the back end of the, the smart contract or the code is sitting with Everown, um, which is a trusted body or whatever. I guess that it needs to be trusted is the key. Yeah. If they can't build that trust, there's no point. And then, yeah, as you're saying, then anyone who owns Nano has to vote me yes or no as to whether or not I can get the key back. Yeah. If, yep. You know, if I want to do... So then I'd have to tell them what I want to do to cha- make the changes and stuff like that. So I think it's cool. Um, I think it, that's the problem that they're trying to solve. Yeah. And so everything around the, the Everown product is just auxiliary to creating this um, particular dApp called Everown. And so the other cool thing about it is if someone dies... Um, uh, they can also put in, they can stipulate uh, a second owner. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah. so it's it doesn't have to be just one particular person. Um, they can also um, select a second person who can then try to reclaim, go through the same process. Um, and so I think it's pretty cool. Um, they've said that there's already a market there. So there's already projects who've approached them saying, we want to use this service for our upcoming tokens or smart contracts or whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, 
And the way they would make money from it is they charge a fee. Of They were saying on the call that I was watching yesterday that it would be somewhere between 5 and 15 BNB um, to the project um, for them to use that service. And they would also um, require the developers of that project to hold rise throughout the process. They don't know how much. That might be probably negotiated contract to contract. Um, but that's basically how they would make revenue um, from that. Yeah, cool. So I think it's kind of cool. Um, and then I'll just touch on a couple of other projects, a couple of other dApps. Um, one of them is called EverWallet, which is like an additional password. So you can get um, you can get decentralized um, wallets. So one's called MetaMask. Another one's called Trust Wallet. And basically, they're the ones where, you know how with, um, uh, what's that? BitClout. So BitClout. BitClout, yeah. Right. So the password for BitClout is like that long phrase. Yeah, yeah. These have the same thing. So MetaMask, for example, uh, just gives you a phrase. But if someone hacks in and gets that phrase, then they've got access to all of your crypto. It's normally called like the seed phrase. Seed right? phrase, yeah. that's right. That's what yeah. it's called. Um, and so um, EverWallet are just able to slap a secondary password on top of that. So basically before you can access um, or interact with any of the crypto in that wallet, if they steal the seed phrase, for example, there's still a secondary password yep. that you have to find. And is it does it work like two factor authentication? Yeah, I think it's quite so similar it changes, to that. It changes as you. I don't know if it. I don't know if it dynamically changes. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if they even know that yet. These uh, gaps that <laughs> are going to come out in, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what they're doing? <laughs> um, um, Everswap. No, I'm sure it's very good. Yes. So Everswap is this function that I again don't quite understand, but the the idea is you've got these decentralized wallets that are external to an exchange and uh, with Everswap, they want you to be able to buy and sell just using the wallet instead of having to transfer the currency or the crypto into an exchange and then do your transaction and you know transfer back out. Always keep it in the wallet and just somehow using their system transfer using Everswap. Yeah. Then how it works. It only works with um, uh, DEXs such as... Um, Pancake swap and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's not a real DAP yet. They haven't created it. That's just yeah. their, in their plan. Yeah. Um, and then Eversale is another one that apparently when projects are trying to create uh, new tokens or whatever and they have a bunch of liquidity that they want to lock away somewhere safe. So like um, instead of, again, it's a trust. It's trying to create trust again. Um, and so the idea is they'll take ownership of that liquidity um, throughout the process of the project and they use that. They do that in another thing called Everlock, um, which takes control of the liquidity. Anyway, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it, it's these are really far down in the pipeline from what I could see. The key things to note, Rise is the currency. Um, it's a buyback currency. The way they do that is they buy it back using BNB and then they burn it. Yeah. And the big founding um, principle or founding idea of the company is uh what's it called ever own and they're trying to solve the problem of renouncing uh, of coders renouncing their smart contracts and not being able to get back uh, control of them yeah okay yeah so that's the whole idea of the project from what i can see and that ever own dap is going to be announced at the end of the month with titan who's going to dox yes on youtube on youtube Excellent. So um, that's that's my summation of that ramble. Um, hopefully, some people found it interesting. Um, Are you bullish or bearish? Uh, <laughs> it's a good question. Um, you gonna buy any? Maybe. Do you own any? I, I don't own any. Okay. I think I might buy some. 
But is it more just for the experiment or yeah. are you buying it for, seriously? Okay. It's for the experiment. Yeah, okay. Cool. I think I might buy hundreds of dollars. So okay. maybe like, maybe $500. Okay. So maybe buy $500 worth of this because it would be fun to try Pancake Swap. Yeah, true, yes. And it would I, be fun to try a decentralized yeah. wallet because I don't have one of those either. Yeah. Um, so I'd probably, I think what I'll probably do is I'll probably use MetaMask, which is a decentralized wallet. Yeah. And I'll probably buy it on Pancake Swap yep. and, then, and then put it in MetaMask. Yeah. And then, you know, if it goes up, it goes up. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Obviously, it's got to leap over the 11% transaction fee before I make any money. And then yeah. I sell it, it's probably another 11%. Yeah. So 22% transaction fee. Uh, so it has to go up a fair bit. So it'll just be sitting in there and yeah. we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. So this, um, does it come under the, so using like PancakeSwap and yeah. the decentralized wallet and all that stuff, yeah. does that come under the d concept of DeFi? Like, is that yes. decentralized finance? I, I believe this is all decentralized yeah, finance. Yeah, yeah. And I'm then, about. yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's because it's always been a super fascinating concept where um, a lot of the times people take margin loans yep. on their Ethereum yep. uh, and then buy more Ethereum yes. with their margin loan. Yes. Uh, and if, if it goes down by a certain percent, then they're completely screwed because yes, it just definitely. takes it from them. Yep. Um, but they literally get loans at 8% or something like that, yep. something ridiculous. Yep. And then it doesn't matter to them because they make 250% because <laughs> exactly. they're on all on margin, leave it up. Uh -huh. So yeah, um, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of cool stuff that you can do with that. Yeah, so I think I might have a go at it. Um, and at some point, maybe I'll check back in. You'll have to let us know how we'll it goes. we'll talk about how it goes. Excellent. Perfect. All righty. Do a little transition sound. Um. All right, we're back. <laughs> you can eat your bicky in the thing. <laughs> Why you can't not be in it? <laughs> you should just eat it. It's funny. Just start going. Okay. I'll eat it. Yeah, I'll eat it while. I, and you should definitely try and talk a lot. And yeah, eat really close to the mic. Really no, no, just eat it normally. This <laughs> close. Can you hear that? It's like ASMR. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> baby. <laughs> Mate, I'll have a feed, field day with that. <laughs> All right, no, enough to you. Tight shot, yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, off you go. <sighs> okay. So... The Lamborghini Countach LPI 800-4. Mm. Yep. 24 hours ago, this was revealed uh, in the US. I'm not quite sure exactly where. That's my bad. And um, it has been 50 years of Countach, and so they're bringing it back. Mm. So in 1971, uh, the Countach was originally launched in the Geneva Motor Show, which is uh, pretty cool. And so this is a modern interpretation of uh, the original car. So, um, the main things are the design elements, obviously, and the layout and engine. So, uh, the layout has, it has scissor doors, which is pretty cool. A classic. Yes. Um, and they say from f onwards, every V12 that they make is going to have scissor doors. I don't know how many V12s they're going to make. But <laughs> Just one. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the scissor doors, um, Tell me. there's a photo of... Uh, so there's, in The Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo yes. DiCaprio is like, you know, super high and all that kind of thing. He falls down the stairs okay. and he tries to get into his Lamborghini Countach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, got a, he's got a white Countach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a little spoof photo. I'll, um, I'll throw it up in the video. Okay. Of um, Leo trying to get into the, um, into the new um, oh, Countach. Like it's someone's, really? someone's edited it to be true, the new one. True, 
And the whole because it's funny because he's laying on the ground trying to open it, open the door with his shoes. Um, so yeah, that's. Yeah, right. uh, but yeah, anyway, we'll uh, we'll throw that one in there. True, I like it. Um, so the name Kuntash um, is apparently not the name of a fighting bull, as a lot of the Lambos are, um, but it's actually an Italian dialect means beautiful or a surprising qu- quality. Ah, yeah. And I so think you're very Kuntash today, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I um, mean that in a surprising way. <laughs> you have a surprising quality. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so it's Lamborghini Countach. LPI stands for, you know, when you write things down and then you go to say them. <laughs> like, well, you, like what I always do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I did that the other week, um, but I tried to cover it, but it looked really bad on the when I looked at the recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just I'll just own it. It's called so LPI stands for longitudinal. I can do that. Uh, longitudinal posterior 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 posteriore probably ore um, <laughs> longitudinal ore. posteriore hybridio. Okay, and that means longitudinal hybrid rear. Okay, no, what I, what I was talking about was I um, just didn't write the next bit down. Oh. So, like I said, this word means, and then I didn't write down what oh. I meant. <laughs> You didn't seem to notice, though, so I think I got away with it. It's obviously had some confidence. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Maybe just say it more confidently and we'll be good. <laughs> we use that take. <laughs> so, LPI1 stands for Longitudinal Posteriori Aurea Ibriori Audio. Perfect. <laughs> we nailed it. Okay. So they're selling only 112 units, which is the same units uh, quantity as the original car. And oh, they only made 112 um, original Countaches. Yeah, apparently. Cool. Yeah. Um, and the engine uh, is a V12 6.5 litre um, <laughs> longitudinal uh, naturally aspirated engine. And uh, it's going to produce 802 horsepower. Wow. 720 newton metres of torque, which is pretty good. And it does have an electric motor, um, which is uh, included in that horsepower figure, which gives it three hundred. Ah, uh, sorry, gives it thirty-four horsepower and thirty-five newton meters of torque, which doesn't seem like much, but uh, from what I could see, there's not a lot of reviews on this yet because um, it's only just got released yesterday. And so um, the electric, the idea of the electric motor is that it only works during shifting and as a boost. So, keeping in mind this engine's naturally aspirated, so no turbo, no, no supercharger, um, my assumption, and uh, there was one uh, comment that Le- Lamborghini made where they said the idea of, one of the ideas of the electric motor is to make it feel like it has even more torque than a V8, uh, V12 engine would have. So, I think when you shift, when you put your foot down, it's an auto, so there's no hands movements. When you shift, yep. I think it just gives you like a, a, a boosted feeling straight out of at sort of at low RPM um, to try and... And then obviously, as the RPMs get higher, the natural aspirated V12 takes on most of the power. Yeah. That's my assumption. Um, so the transmission, as I said, um, it's a seven-speed auto. And the characteristics of how it operates depends on the drive mode that you use. Um, as with most of these um, supercars, uh, it's electronically controlled all-wheel drive. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know if the contrast. I assume the contrast was just rear-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, in its time, I assume that's probably what it was, but that could definitely be wrong. Um, it's got like a rear uh, mechanical self-locking um, diff as well. 
um, which is good for that grip on the track. I'm sure they would have fixed a lot of the issues that the I'm original Countach sure had. I'm sure they didn't just give it all the problems that the <laughs> yeah, old Countach had. Because it had like, um, from like clips and stuff that I've seen, it mm. had the pedals were too close together. Yes, um, I have seen It was this. always impossible to, always impossible to reverse. Um, so I don't think they tried to bring all the inherent problems that the original <laughs> car had. Yeah, probably not. Uh, uh, so yeah, I think you were saying that like some of them were, you know, the pedals were too close to each other yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and so I, th- that's my assumption. Um, in regards to some of the performance figures, uh, maximum speed is 355 kilometers an hour, which seems quite fast. Never really think much of the maximum speed figure. You don't really need to no. worry about that. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like on Top Gear, they always used to recite it. It's like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah, zero yeah. to 100? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But max speed, like, who's ever going to get to that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're on the track doing 250 and doing yeah. 280 are the same thing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, zero to 100, 2.8 seconds. Yeah. Very fast. Yeah. Um, to put that in perspective, the Huracan Evo, which is the top of the line Huracan. Yeah. Does zero to one hundred in two point nine seconds. Yeah, so it's faster than that. Uh, so it does zero to one hundred in eight point six seconds, which just zero, pr- wait. Oh, zero to one hundred miles an hour. Oh, I said one hundred, two hundred. You zero to two hundred. Yeah, yeah zero to two hundred eight point six seconds. Yeah, wow. So that's pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and braking does from one hundred to zero in thirty meters. Um, so that seems like it's pretty short, but hard to know. Um. The uh, the body or the, the chassis is a carbon fiber monocoque, which is pretty standard. Like a lot of the Lotuses are um, al- aluminium um, monocoque. Uh, it has aluminium front and rear frames that connect to that um, monocoque. And uh, the body itself is all carbon fiber, which is pretty special. Yeah. So that all leads to being a pretty light car. So 800 or so horsepower is pretty good, but not crazy in today's world. Um, but the fact that it's only about 1,600 kilos means that's going to be very fast. And so that's where you get the 2.8, 0 to 100 figure from, I think. Um, I don't know if you remember when we went to Sydney, we went to an event called World Time Attack and there was a Countach there. Mm. You remember that? Yes. Right? Yeah, the black one. Right. Yeah. And that, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, it looks Probably so Probably one cool. of the most amazing car experiences that I've seen in Australia. On I'll, the, I'll say that. the tires uh, were like 375 or something or 385. Or exactly yeah. right. So there was something yeah. crazy. Um, these ones are 355, which is still pretty big for a tire. Yeah. But I do remember just being absolutely amazed standing behind the car. You've kind of got like, there's the left tire, there's the right tire, and there's almost the same amount of space in the middle, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very much like the Batmobile of the... Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. kind of looks like a steamroller yeah. with a little bit in between. Yeah. Um, and so uh, uh, the distribution in regards to weight is 43.57. Um, so I assume that's 57% at the, at the rear. At the back, yeah. Yep. Um, and then a few features inside. It's got a uh, like an 8.4-inch touchscreen which has got CarPlay in it and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like, dis- it's not f- pretending to be old. Yeah. Um, and uh, it has this button called, um, I assume you say the word style, but it's spelled S-T-I-L-E. Okay. Stile, maybe. Um, and when you press the button, it explains the Countach design philosophy to its privileged audience. So <laughs> you press the button and it explains. Yeah. Explains the philosophy. I assume it all comes up on the screen and does a little, you know, it's demo. Like demo button. Yeah. <laughs> that seems funny. Yeah. Well, when your friends are like, oh, tell me about your car, you just press the button. You don't have to do anything. You just press it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's all I've really got. It, it's, um, 
uh, what I should talk about, and we could, I could send you the video, is um, on the Lamborghini website, if you go to it, it's got a few things. Oh, let's do this. Okay, let me show you this. Oh, okay, yeah. It, it has a audio uh, clip of the car, and we can get a better version of this and overlay it. Yeah. Um, have a listen to this. Oh, it's... <laughs> So that sounds sick. So sick. And also, I want to know what an 8D sound experience is. Yeah, I had is headphones it? on. It's just they just move it around a bit. Like, ah, yeah, okay. All right. Eight yes. dimension. The only other thing that I'll mention is if you go to the website, um, on the right hand side, there's an augmented reality QR code. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Get your camera out on your phone, scan that, it'll take you to the website again. Click augmented reality demo or whatever it is. Might just say augmented reality. Click that takes you to a site and you can just see a f like an image of the car. Click on the car and then uh, just kind of like place your camera or face your camera where you want your new Lamborghini Countach. Yeah. Move it around a little bit and uh, it kind of, it rocks up and I'll, I'll show you this video. Um, right now you can probably see it actually. We'll put it over the video, yeah. The, there'll, be, yeah. there'll be a video right now of me doing it um, in a street near my house. And uh, you, you can walk around the car. You can actually get in the car and have a look and it's actually really cool. So yeah, very nice. Very impressive. Tell us about your philosophical journey that you've been on. <laughs> My philosophical journey. Yeah. Okay, so this one is, <laughs> this one's pretty cool. I'm going over here because I was going to read it off Twitter, but I'm actually going to read it off um, out of here now. So lately I've been reading this book. It's called The Almanac of Naval wow. Ravikant. Um who What's almanac is, mean? Is that a word? Almanac is a word which means... Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to look up the actual definition. I do know what it means, but... Were you about to do that thing? I was about to do that thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, an almanac is an annual publication listing of a set of current information on one or multiple subjects. Oh. So an almanac is essentially... Here we go. Like the old farmer's almanac is a trusted source for long-range weather forecasts, okay. moon phases, full... Um, full dates. So that's um, essentially almanac means it's that di the dictionary of that person. Like yep. it's what their their current thoughts are, that kind of thing. Okay. So it's actually not by him. It's oh. um, it's by another guy, and he has compiled every interview and tweet and um, every piece of information, everything that this guy's said. Uh, Naval. Yeah. Because he's like that that much of an influential figure. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have time to write his own book, you know. <laughs> and um, and so then he's actually categorized it in certain areas. So wow. first half of the book is about building wealth. The mm -hmm. second half of the book is about building happiness. Mm -hmm. um, and it's actually really, he's actually got really good um, kind of life info. Wow, you've read a lot of it. So he did, yeah. So I've read a lot of it since I started a couple of days ago. Yeah, you're almost halfway. Almost halfway through. Here we go. He's got a, he's got a segment, he's got a, um, a tweet storm that he did. Yeah. It's got like a really good philosophy for how to, how to think about wealth and okay. how to build those skills and that okay. kind of thing. Okay. So it's called how to get rich without getting lucky. Yeah. So it says seek wealth, not money or status. Wealth is having assets that earn while you sleep. Money is how we transfer time and wealth. And status is your place in the social hierarchy. Oh, that's a good, that's a great phrase already. So yeah, it's a great, it's a great start. Yeah. Um, Understand ethical wealth creation is possible. If yeah. you secretly despise wealth, it'll elude you. Right. So this is something that I've often often found people people these days really hate Jeff Bezos and yeah. Elon Musk and that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Uh, well, a lot of them do, and a lot of them don't really care that much, or they yeah. do, or they like them. There's and some outspoken people who do. Yeah, some some definitely outspoken people. Yeah. So understanding that ethical wealth creation is possible. Yeah, it's good. And categorizing wealth as the real something that makes money while you sleep. Yeah. You know, something that's really something that's powerful. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's a really good way to way to kind of look at it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and so wealth will always elude you if you. If you're despising it, yeah, essentially. that's a really good point. <clears throat> so, like, um, I was thinking about this recently as well, where um, you know how there's some people and they hate, they kind of hate authority, um, or they hate like the social um, constructs of our system right now. They don't like, you know, they don't want to submit to a certain authority, or maybe even like in their day to day world, they don't want to submit to a boss or whatever. Yeah, and I kind of feel like. People who despise that, in the same way they despise wealth, I think f- it, my perspective, you can take two sides to it. My perspective is like, if to have someone in authority means that like I can now aspire towards having some sort of authority yeah. or some sort of influence. For sure, yeah. yeah. And in this, and so for me, it's actually like a motivating factor. Um, even if I don't like the person in that position, the fact that that position exists in our world means that... that there's an opportunity for me to also acquire that sort of influence or authority. Mm. In the same way, people don't like wealth, you know, they're not wealthy, they can't play their bills and then Jeff Bezos is building a mega yacht and whatever. Yeah, yeah, space, yeah. Right? Yeah. But again, I don't look at it like, here's a comparison of my life versus his. It's like, there's, if, like imagine if there was no, uh, imagine if there was no incentive in regards to like, imagine if we lived in a fully communistic world where, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how much you do. Yeah, yeah. you can never. You can never aspire to that. You can never get your own yacht, and you can never right? have your own. Or yeah. you can never be financially independent. You yeah, know? Or you definitely. can never, you know, give gifts of huge sizes to charity, or whatever. Yeah. And so, again, in the same way that leaders uh, look down upon because you know you don't like authority, same with wealth. For mm. me. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's cool. No, I agree. That's good. Um, and it often so with this tweet storm as well, it um, links in each idea with the next one as well. Sweet. So the next one is ignore people playing status games. They gain status by attacking people playing wealth creation games. So ah. that means that people that are trying to grow status and grow, um, they're trying to look cool. Yep. Um, other ones that are attacking people that are actually building, building the wealth. wealth. Yes. So they it makes them look good for other for them to attack other people. Yes. Um, you're not going to get this one's really good. You're not going to get rich renting out your time. Yeah. You must own equity, a piece of a business, to gain your financial freedom. Yeah, and that's something that should be taught at school, right? Yeah, for sure. Although yeah. maybe it shouldn't because then everyone would. But like, um, and that's a controversial topic. Well, it's not taught at school because teachers don't own pieces of business. Yeah, it's true. And they're content with yeah. like you know their life but yeah. they don't know that you can yeah can't, they i mean a lot of them don't think oh i need to own a piece of a business yeah you know? i feel like on that point if you don't mind um like i feel like i am sometimes um torn when i get sometimes i get offered uh you know could you come and help me with this thing because you've got some certain skills that are helpful and we'll pay you x amount of dollars and so a few times where people have offered me that if the amount of money isn't really interesting in my opinion i find it more interesting just to do it voluntarily yeah yeah because it's like like yeah i guess at this point it's like i don't want to um i yeah like i don't want to rent it like i think my time is worth more than that or whatever and so i'm going to choose just to volunteer and do this thing yeah yeah because you're never going to make wealth yeah yeah agreed yeah so um you will get rich by giving society what it wants 
but doesn't know how to get at scale. Oh, yeah. Wow. So there's, um, Apple does that. There's something cool. There you go. <laughs> Don't they? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. they just yeah. tell you you need AirPods. You're like, I didn't realize I needed AirPods, but I do. Yeah, and then and now people buy spend four hundred and fifty bucks on a watch like this. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know I needed this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, pick a pick an industry where you can pay play long term games with long term people. Okay. So that one's um that one's a long term investment me- mindset that he's okay. definitely got. Yeah. Um, the internet has massively broadened the possible space of careers. Most people haven't figured that out yet. Yeah. So even today, he thinks that the people still aren't making the most of the internet. Um, Play iterated games. All returns in life, whether in wealth, relationships, or knowledge, come from compound interest. (laughs) So um, that's a cool one. Uh, Pick business partners with high intelligence, energy, and above all, integrity. Yeah, right. That's cool. He's a very integral, ethical guy by the sounds of it. So he talks about, he actually talks about this... uh, later on in the book a lot as well. Yeah. He said that, well, he talks about each, he basically talks about each one of these points yeah. um, as, and that in like long form. Yeah. And so that's, it's really good. This is right at the start of the book where it, it's kind of outlining his philosophy. Yeah. yeah. And so um, that one's really good because he talks about this business partner that he was working with for a number of years and yeah. the business partner essentially, that, there were another VC. So he's like a VC basically, which yeah. is venture capitalist. So they invest in small businesses. Yeah. And um, and so he was talking about this other VC guy mm-hmm. who handed a lot of deals his way. Yep. And what this VC did was he would often cover b- large one-off expenses that the companies were having mm. because he had invested in this company and he had told Naval to invest in this company mm-hmm. and this company suddenly had a big issue. Mm-hmm. This guy would go and oh. pay, for, pay for that issue. Really? Because it was his integrity. He was recommending this company. Yeah. He had this, it was this big um, thing that came up. Yeah. Later on, Naval kind of discovered that he was doing this. Yeah. And so then he started doing the same thing when he was handing deals the other way. Oh, wow. So basically, they were covering off on each other's yeah. um, angel investments and VC investments. Yeah. To say, because they want their name to be, like, they want to build a really long-term beneficial yeah. partnership. And now they've made hundreds of millions off each other because wow. of um, because of that. Could I also s- sell something recent about that as well? Um I was, I've told you this story as well, but I think it's cool because it's a bit more um, down to earth level. I was talking to, um, oh, so my dad has some family friends or my parents have family friends and they owned um, an accounting firm and uh, I think it was a reasonable size and uh, basically the guy was one running it in the, in the family and uh, he retired and um, sold the firm. And then, uh, and so I guess my assumption is like, oh, this guy must be doing all right, like counting, so don't yeah. have to deal with money. Yeah. It's a firm employing people. So he's probably sold it for something. Like, this is good. Hopefully he's retiring off that money and, you know, he can have a nice holiday and buy a house or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. And so then a few months went by and then maybe even a year later, um, I was in a conversation with my dad and he was telling me that this guy um, was looking for a house um, with his family and uh, they had a budget and I thought the budget was quite low. And then uh, because the housing market, particularly at the moment in the last year or so, has been crazy where we live in Newcastle, uh, in this area. And so they ended up buying this house, which was pretty cheap. And then to try and make it affordable, they also had their like extended family come and move in with them and stuff like that. These people are like older. Yeah. And, and I was like, like I, this doesn't make sense in my brain. Like, shouldn't this guy be able to go and buy like a nice apartment in town and just like enjoy the rest of his life? Yeah. Yeah. 
and and then I said, so I said that to my dad. I said, like, what's the go? Like, why why is he living like this when, in my brain, he should be living like this? Um, he said, well, he he similar to what you're saying, he recommended this investment to a couple of his business buddies yeah. um, years ago, and and they all invested, and the investment went really south. Yeah, yeah. and and so because of his name and his integrity, he told himself that he would pay them back. Yeah, wow. And so when he sold the business, he paid them back and he didn't really have any money. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? It's yeah. it's definitely a, a unique way to live life, but it's yeah. definitely very, yeah, very high integrity, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I... Yeah, taking it that far is tricky because you're also saying these are the risks of you investing in oh, I totally this agree. other thing. I totally agree. It's I don't like know what the circumstances your, around it were. Yeah, it's like make your own decisions. I think... Yeah, maybe if it's like his own thing, then it makes more sense. Like yeah. I don't know, but yeah, that's tricky. Lots so yeah, onto onto the, the next one from that. It's yes. don't partner with cynics and pessimists. Their beliefs mm. are self fulfilling. Yeah. So that really follows onto the pick partners with high intelligence, integrity, energy. Yeah. And then it's saying exclude partners that are cynic, cynical and pessimistic. I think it also um, also runs off the whole like if you're critical of wealth or whatever that initial one was. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like if you're cynical about wealthy people. Yeah. It's self-fulfilling. They all they all tie in really well, I think. They do, yeah. Uh, learn to sell, learn to build. If you can do both, you'll be unstoppable. Yeah. So that's that's quite cool. Uh, arm yourself with specific knowledge, accountability, and leverage. Okay. So, and then it goes into those, actually. So specific knowledge is knowledge you can't be trained for. Yeah. If society can train you, it can train someone else and replace you. Yeah, it's good. Uh, specific knowledge is found by pursuing your genuine curiosity and passion rather than whatever's hot right now. Yeah. Uh, building specific knowledge will feel like play, but will look like work to others. Yeah. And when specific knowledge is taught, it's taught through apprenticeships, not schools. Yeah. Uh, specific knowledge is often highly technical or creative and can't be outsourced or automated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so it says specific knowledge can't be uh, is often highly technical or creative, but can't be outsourced or automated. Yes. And then embrace accountability and take business risks under your own name. Society will reward you with responsibility, equity, and leverage. Yeah. Right. So he's very much into... Which comes back <coughs> down to in- integrity and stuff as well. He's very much about doing things under your own name. Yeah. He said, don't do not do some kind of pseudonym or yeah. we were talking about crypto before. Yeah, doctor. You know, yeah, don't, like yeah. if you're hiding yourself, then yeah. you're hiding, you know, yeah. you're, hide, you're ashamed of, you know, other, yeah. other stuff. Yeah. And, and you're also not letting people trust you. Yes. So... um, That's right. And I suppose in today's world, trust is a commodity that's highly valuable because mm. a lot of people don't operate like that. Uh, yeah, you just see fronts for a lot of things. And so, yeah, I'd say that's true. Like if, if you knew that he operated in this way and then we're starting a new business, you'd be in- inclined to invest or be a part of it because you know it's integral. For sure, for sure. And you're building, you're also building a personal brand. Yes. And you're building a personal brand of yeah. integrity. So yeah, when and people want to meet you. Yeah. Um, give me a lever long enough and a place to stand and I'll move the earth, Archimedes. <laughs> so that's um, that's one of the Greek gods that said that, Okay. Um, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so that's that's about leverage. So he moves on to that leverage phase next. Yes, okay. Uh, fortunes require leverage. Business leverage comes from capital, people, and products with no marginal cost of replication. Oh, yeah. Code and media. That's like, yeah. so he's saying that that's what they are. Yeah. Uh, which is really cool because he, so he's got a degree in economics as well as computer science. Yeah. And he believes that there's all those traditional, there's the capital, um, there's, you know, traditional monetary capital as well as the machinery and equipment and, and then there's land. Yeah. But there's also, he also believes different types of leverage are code and media. Yeah. 
So yeah, uh, capital means money. To raise money, ego also goes into that. Mm -hmm. um, to raise money, apply your specific knowledge with accountability and show resulting good judgment. <clears throat> so he's saying that like, yeah, he's saying that like people will trust you with, with more capital. Yeah. Labor means people working for you. It's the oldest and most fought over form of leverage. <laughs> Labor leverage will impress your parents, but don't waste your life chasing after it. Mm. Yeah, um, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you run a firm with 20 people, then all of the oldies are like, oh, this guy's successful. Yeah. 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 For sure. It's an old form. Yeah. So, um, and he also later on, he talks about how like labor is actually just really tough. Like it's like the yeah. toughest thing because oh, yeah. you have to manage people yeah. and managing people. And also in Silicon, he's in Silicon Valley. Yeah. If you're in Silicon Valley, it costs 400,000 yeah. to hire someone good, you yeah. know? Okay. And it's like, it's yeah. very true. So it's like also the most expensive yes. form, you know? Expensive and efficient. Yeah, yeah. Time consuming. Um, capital and labor are permissioned leverage. Everyone is chasing capital, but someone has to give it to you. Mm -hmm. Everyone's trying to lead, but someone has to follow you. Mm -hmm. uh, code and media are position uh, permissionless leverage. Yeah. So they're the leverage behind the newly rich. You can create software and media that works for you while you sleep. An army of robots is freely available. It's just packed in data centers for heat and space efficiency. <laughs> Um, use it. Uh, if you can't code, write books and blogs, record videos and podcasts. Yeah. But that was, that's a funny one right here. Why is that, <laughs> why is that funny? Well, <laughs> I can't code. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Continue. Uh, so leverage is a force multiplier of your judgment. That's an interesting one. What is it? A force multiplier. What was a full sentence? Leverage is a force multiplier for your judgment. Yeah, right. So you make judgments. Yeah. And leverage is all of those capital labor, everything mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. They, it's saying that, um, yeah, as you, as you make a judgment, mm -hmm. leverage is applied to yes. your decisions, yes. which is really cool. It is cool, but it also daunting potentially. Definitely. Yeah. So making good judgments. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's, and then, so then it obviously goes on. Judgment requires experience, yeah. but can be built faster with learning foundational skills. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, there's no there's no skill called business. Avoid business magazines and business classes. That ah, one's kind of funny. Interesting. Didn't you do business classes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it also says study microeconomics, game theory, psychology, <laughs> persuasion, ethics, mathematics, and computers. So yeah, true. He's definitely got. He's obviously he's got a certain specific knowledge of yes. of what he thinks is important. Yeah. Um, reading is faster than listening. Doing is faster than watching. Yeah. Uh, you should be. <laughs> this is heaps funny. You should be too busy to do coffee. While keeping an uncluttered calendar, um, he's but he's also um, he's got a full. Uh, so here we go. It'll, it'll go into that next. Okay. So I'll, I'll explain this okay. and then right. I'll I'll go into it. Right. Set and enforce an aspirational personal hourly rate. If fixing yeah. a problem will save you less than your hourly rate, yeah. ignore it. Yeah. If outsourcing a task will cost you less than your hourly rate, yeah. outsource it. This is a great concept. Um, I I really like that concept. Yes. So it is quite cool. So he has a. In his in his mind, when he was a junior engineer, yeah. he had an aspirational hourly rate of five thousand dollars an hour, yeah. which meant paying someone to mow his lawn, paying someone to do his laundry, paying someone yeah. to do everything, yeah, didn't matter to him because yeah. he had this rate in his mind where he was building stuff that was, yes. you know, going to make so much more. And then Very he got to a point where now he has made a if you if you look backwards yeah. on that. His real rate of yeah. what he's returned is ten thousand dollars an hour or something. If like you divide that. it by those hours that he used, yeah, 
because so, he paid someone to mow the lawn. So it literally yeah. worked out like that. But I would say, um, I would say that it's, I think it's a risky um, way to do it. Yeah. Because you're also um, in more classical wealth building books. You're doing the opposite of what yeah, they tell you. It says to be frugal. Yeah. It says to be frugal, <laughs> yeah. particularly in your younger years, so that you can compound on genuinely large sums of money. But that's not going to happen if you're outsourcing all of this. Mm, definitely. So and you you would yeah. need to be very confident in yourself yeah. and your ability. And with all um, with all wisdom, someone passes you on. You know, you have to uh, take it and leave it as you see fit. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. Mm. So this one, our next one is uh, work as hard as you can, even though who you work with and what you work on are more important than how hard you work. Yeah. So, um, it's true. Uh, here we go. The next one is, see, like if you follow all of it, like holistically, yeah. then that hourly rate thing is like not as important because the next one is become the best in the world at what you do. Keep redefining what you, what you do until yeah. this is true. Yeah. So if you are the best at, in the world at what you do. Yeah. Then it doesn't matter if you were frugal with outsourcing and all, you know, all that kind of thing, because yeah. you'll actually hit your aspirational target rate. Yes, and I would say that um, whilst that's a good goal, even if you were like a hundredth in the world at whatever you do, you're yeah. probably going to be super successful. Yeah, for sure, for uh, sure. So it's 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 a good aspiration. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's also really good to. I really like the concept of greatness, like yeah. working as hard as you can to be the best at at your like thing. It's just yeah. it's. Yeah, it's just really. I think it's really quite satisfying, good. right? Yeah. yeah, it's a really good goal to have. More satisfying. That would be more satisfying than an amount of money that you could make. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Because you're solving problems. I like the idea of solving problems for people, in ways that they don't think are possible. Definitely, yeah. Um, there's no rich. There's no get rich quick schemes. Yeah. Um, there's just someone getting rich off you. Oh so, yeah, uh, oh, that's true. So that's an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. Other than the pokies. Uh, it's not the pokies. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not a get through quick <laughs> Sorry. I meant, although this is still a joke, um, I meant the uh, the lotto. I think a couple of days ago, one of the guys at, at home was telling me that someone in, um, uh, someone in Victoria won all of $80 million um, Powerball. Wow. The whole thing. The whole thing. Well, I guess that is a get rich quick scheme. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's wrong. It's definitely, yeah. I don't know. Definitely don't do that though. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> right, unless you want to, no, I don't no, know. Yeah. <laughs> um, apply specific knowledge with leverage and eventually you'll get what you deserve. Okay. Uh, cool. And yeah, yeah. When you're finally wealthy, you realize it wasn't what you were seeking in the first place, but that's for another day. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and then summary productize yourself. Um, yeah, right. and so what that means is, um, and this is actually cool. He actually dives into that one a bit more okay. um, because he was asked in, a, in an interview what that meant. Yeah. Productize and yourself. Yourself has uniqueness. Productize has leverage. Yourself has accountability. Productize has specific knowledge. Yourself has specific knowledge in there. Um, so with all of those people, you, all of those like um, principles, yeah. you combine all of those into productize yourself. Yeah, wow. So accountability, like credibility. Crazy. Um, usefulness. Uh, yeah, so... There goes the camera. <laughs> what do you think of that one? <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, yeah, I think I think it's really good. Um, I I enjoy that style of conversation. I guess we'll just see. He's. I think he's really, really wise. Yeah. So I think that that's um, yeah, that's that's the main takeaway from it. Like I, yes. I reckon, he, and I like right at the end as well. He's like talking about, he's hinting at, um, how happiness is actually 
uh, really important. He's hinting yeah. at, so like that whole thing is saying, obviously wealth is important, yeah. but he's also saying, hey, happiness is also really important. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Uh, very interesting. Does that inspire you? It inspired me a lot. I think it's actually really cool. Yeah. And um and yeah, I'm keen to keen to get into the second half. So I've, obviously, I've, I think yeah. I'm finished like the wealth kind of half. Okay. And uh, and yeah, I'm really keen to get to the um, building happiness because half the first half nice. is building wealth, and the second half well, is building in, happiness. In a couple of days, you'll be done, and then I can read it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the bit where you normally say. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm scrolling <laughs> up. <laughs> uh, it's been good. It's the show that's even faster and more cost effective than a Lamborghini Countach. Yes, it is. Goodbye from HQLA episode 18. Rum, rum. Rum, rum. <laughs>